Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Next Show podcast, place about games, friends, getting better. My name is Ben Hansen, and I thank thee for being here. We're joined by Jeff Marchiafava. Tis I. Tis he. We're joined by Kyle Hilliard. Hello. And we're joined by Janet Garcia. Hello. Hello. Thank you for wearing a MinMax uh, sweater, Janet. That's yeah, man. Nice. You got to. Do you like strategically do it? Is it? Oh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, do you like map it out for like Wednesdays when you record the podcast? You're like, that is my MinMax sweater day, or is it just happenstance? No, I've just. No, uh, you made her turn the heater off. So. <laughs> oh, that is true. Oh, it was making a noise. Before the heater was turned off. Was also, noise. the heater has been getting progressively louder. I think it needs to just be cleaned out. Right. I live with that background mm. noise like constantly. It's really not good. Um, no, I have. I've now divide, redivided my clothes where I now have a drawer of like content sweaters. Yes. Where it's like these are just branded sweaters that I was <laughs> yes. given from like Kind of Funny or Min Max or I think that's most of them. I mean, I'm making my own now too, but mm-hmm. that's just that. And I'm like, well, why not wear the Min Max one? Because I'm going to be on Min Max today and I Smart. want to wear a sweater today. So that's I, why. I've never connected no. with you more, Janet. Literally this morning, I made a brand <laughs> drawer. Because here's my mistake is I, I thought it was smart. The grand drawer. <laughs> no, but I thought it was smart like during GDC. I was like, you know what? I'm going to wear a MinMax t-shirt every day of GDC. Always be clothes and basic stuff. Um, and then I realized I got home and I'm like, well, now I just have way too many MinMax t-shirts. And I feel like a hack walking around my house wearing these things. I'm like, But if I just put it in a little drawer off to the side, maybe I'll only have to come back to it every once in a while on a very special occasion. Kyle, today, it should feel like that special occasion because we're talking about so much good stuff on this podcast. It is a min-max day today, boy. Hansen, yeah. Hansen can, I, can I interrupt with a question? Yeah, absolutely. If, if, you, if you go someplace that you know a lot of people are going to be there, like, yeah. like you, go to, you go to, I don't know what kind of places you go to. State Fair? Or something. Yeah, State Fair. Yeah. Do you think I should wear a min-max shirt? As like, because I'm going to be walking around as free advertising I mean, I was, when we went to the coffee shop, mm-hmm. I don't know if that made it to the in Minneapolis. Log. It didn't. We like, weren't filming the person, everything. The person who rung us out mentioned like, "Oh, what an interesting design!" Like, yeah, tell, like tell no, what is you that? Had the business cards ready. It has it has come up a couple times. You know, I'm not saying you have to, Jeffum. Would it be a make or break for the company? Probably. Um, <laughs> you could right. just wear it all the time. I will say, like, I do get a surprising amount of comments on like MinMax shirts or people thinking they know what it is, but they secretly don't. It's, but but does that go through your mind? Ever like I'm I'm going no. someplace you know there's probably going to be a lot of people although in our demographic should I like, like Ben's at the Taylor those? Swift concert you need to wear like a t-shirt anyway out, you know <laughs> yeah I'm going to be charging onto the stage or onto baseball diamonds wearing the midnight t-shirt I will say when we went to the state fair Janet and Sarah and I. For the travel log for the Trek to Shrek, I did wear the Minmax T-shirt, and so maybe that was part of the logic, or maybe it's because I knew it was going to be in the travel log a lot. So yeah. I'm not at that level of sick corporate desperation, but okay, but I can you do see have it. a brand drawer. So <laughs> yeah, I'm just at the brand That's the drawer. Next level. Who does it is the thing in this industry. Like I got like a free T-shirt at PAX, and then I was like, great, add it onto the pile. I don't buy shirts anymore. Yeah, I should be buying anything. I don't like I have I'm, a million this, T-shirts. This shirt. Ooh. I, I don't know what sound drop is. It's <laughs> okay. just, it was just a Coffee free shirt. Now yeah. you're just giving it to him. This this hoodie. This hoodie. What is this? My favorite one of my favorite sweaters to like lounge in is my boyfriend's Blair Witch video game sweater. Like that game, <laughs> that awful game. Yeah. Like, awful game, great sweater. Also, Sometimes the worst the games Witch, are great yeah. movie. 
Yeah. The Let worst me know that I don't have any clothes. logos whatsoever. I don't, I usually don't wear shirts with logos. I just want to call that out. Is that really a conscious effort of you? Like you don't wear yeah. shirts with logos? Wow. Just in case I you were in like a documentary on Netflix, so I don't have to blur anything out. Or what's, what's the logic <laughs> here? Blur it out. <laughs> yeah, that's what Kyle thinks about. Every, I don't want to be morning. a billboard. Come on. Really? Yeah, and I can yeah. see you try it, you know? That's right. Hey, on this very episode of the podcast, this very one, we're talking about so much. We're talking about, this can't be right, the gameplay reveal for The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. We're talking about Janet's trip to PAX West. Everybody's jumping in uh, to help East. Janet. East. <laughs> What's the difference? If you go west enough, it's east. Uh, but we're talking Use about... It. Make the L's with your hands. That's right. Uh, but we're talking about her a uh, couple of her favorite games that she played there, the overall experience, all that fun stuff. Uh, I'm mopping up a couple games from GDC as well. Cool upcoming indie games. Kyle's been playing a new Castlevania-style game that he's enjoying. What's the name of that game? Tune into the rest of the podcast to find say, out. You put me on the spot. I know it's got the number nine. I've nine got it written down. I've got it written down. It's a top secret thing. And then back after the show, some <laughs> wonderful questions submitted over there on Patreon from the community. And if you're listening to this podcast, um, thank you, first of all. If you're watching this podcast on YouTube, thank you. Um, small thing. If you're watching on YouTube, you can always click subscribe. We are under 200 people from hitting 40,000 subscribers on YouTube. So it's a small thing for you just to click that little subscribe button, but it's huge for us. So if you're listening, also you go in there, uh, throw a subscribe our way, we would greatly appreciate it. And if you're listening to this podcast and thinking, why aren't these hacks talking about Resident Evil 4? Um, what we did a couple weeks ago with Jacob Geller, but also we are talking about Resident Evil 4. We're talking more about Resident Evil 4 than any other outlet you were listening to in your regular rotation because we are taking the deepest dive on Resident Evil 4's remake. It is Sarah and Jeffem and Kyle and I diving in deep. And so the first episode of the deepest dive on Resident Evil 4 covering everything from chapters one through six is live on our YouTube channel and also right in your favorite podcast app if you're a $5 supporter on Patreon. So thanks for all the kind words about that game club so far. We're going to be rolling for the next three weeks tackling Resident Evil 4. So help support the game club format, everybody, please. Um, all right, let's get to it. Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, the big gameplay reveal. <sighs> Ten minutes of gameplay this thing. And I got to say, Kyle... I was nervous, man. I was nervous going in, being like, I don't know if I want to see too much for Tears of the Kingdom. I'm looking forward right. to it, but I want to be surprised. And the way it started out, I was a little bit horrified by like, this is very Breath of the Wild. Like, the UI is damn near identical. Uh, the music is, it feels like the exact same music. You hear like a little glimpse of it in that opening section. I was like, I don't know, I don't know. And then it kept building and building and building. And by the end, I was like, yes. That is exactly, those are the 10 minutes that I wanted to see from this game and now nothing more. It was a very systems heavy, weird, inspiring gameplay showcase, but it felt yeah. like it didn't spoil anything. It just showed you like, by the way, here's the potential possibilities. But I'm curious, like your take as, a, as the world's biggest Zelda fan here. I mean, that, that was the big thing. It's like potential, right? It's yeah. like, hey, yes. we added this thing. And now we're going to let you think about what that means. What mm -hmm. are the ramifications of that? Go off and, and go off and start thinking about that. You know, that's like literally then, a newest takeaway. Is like yeah, at the end, which is smart. Like that's I think that's a great way to sort of share some of the details. I mean, honestly, for me, I I'm almost uh, intimidated by it. Um, I'm sort of scared of the sort of oh, options that it'll present me. Like one thing I like about Zelda in general, including Breath of the Wild, is like. Hey, here's a, a problem and you need to figure out and there's a specific tool that you can use to figure that out. And maybe you need to go find it. Yeah. You know, it's but it's it's sort of you it's something you can figure out. But now it's kind of like I wonder if it's gonna be like, and here's a problem, 
And I don't know, like you could throw an acorn on your sword or like, you know, put a mushroom on your shield. You could build an entire rocket ship. Maybe that's the solution. And then rewind it. I may be too dumb for this game. (laughs) Exactly. I might be too dumb. But um, but aside from that, it's it's very exciting and interesting and does at this early stage feel like, okay, this is this is going to be a big change to that formula this will radically change the game in a big way yeah let's go over just just basics here so the idea is you know you've seen you've seen tears of the kingdom it's like okay it's the same world as breath of the wild's world it's interesting seeing like you know game explained did a video breaking down some differences like okay all the shrines are gone shika towers are gone um there's some stuff like uh death mountain has like the Ganon crap flowing out of it. There's like small differences, but it's like, okay, There's it a is a board cube in the distance, right? <laughs> yep. Weird cubes, uh, but by and large still the same world. But now there's what they're calling quote sky islands, right? That we've seen link Whatever. jumping off all that stuff. Yada, yada. But then the big hook of this entire presentation is, ah, but here are four new powers that you will have. And we're going to name them and demonstrate how this works. Number one, recall. So this is for rewinding an object, which we saw in one of the earlier trailers and people were speculating that that is exactly what's going on. It's rewinding stuff like is in that early trailer where boulders come down the hill and you could see that go back in time. But is an awesome pitch for this because Anuma's like, well, how am I going to get up to these sky islands? They're way up in the sky. And one of the ways, just one of the ways it turns out is there's going to be rocks falling off the sky islands. So the way that you get up there, or one of the ways is you jump onto the rock, hit the recall ability, rewind time. So the rock goes back up into the sky and you just treat it like an elevator, which uh, super cool, a uh, wild thing. Okay. Let me just run through these real quick because there's so yeah. much to unpack. Uh, what does that mean for combat, Ben? What does that even mean? What know? does it mean for everything? <laughs> it's, it's so wild. So also the fuse ability, you can create weapons and one. a lot of other things by combining seemingly any object in this game uh, also there is the ultra hand ability which is a fun callback to nintendo's history if you remember on the podcast a while ago you got to see kelsey lewin with that blue ultra hand nintendo's plastic toy from the 60s but in tears of the kingdom uh the ultra hands ability just to move big objects around specifically the vehicles which you are building with the fuse ability and kind of readjust where things are at on the vehicles and then also the ascend power which also we saw i believe in that first trailer where it showed link like kind of teardrop climbing through ascending through the wait what was he doing like kind of ascending through the floorboards (laughs) or whatever so you can go in any cave anything you can use this and hit it and then link will just shoot out to the top you can go up into it right he did say i guess there's some limits uh he had an interesting way of framing that there are some restrictions but as long as there's a ceiling you can use it anywhere is how he described it um and so it's a different way of getting like the top of a mountain uh rather than just climbing if there's a cave you can go inside it and then just shoot right to the top by swimming through the rocks okay there's a lot to break down with all these things jeffum as somebody who likes physics, you're a pro-physics kind of lad. Uh, I'm curious what your takeaway was from these sandbox tools yeah. that were showing off. Yeah, so I sat down and watched the video with my wife because she's been super excited about right. it. Um, and we we both had weird trajectories on it. The, the first, you know, quarter of it maybe, I was I was very, my heart sunk a little yeah. as as it was kind of like, oh, this is this is, looks very similar to what the first game was and and the things that I didn't particularly love about the first one and it was it was when they started getting into 
the physics stuff that yeah. as you as you correctly guessed um my interest was peaked and that that was all super interesting to me my wife kind of had the opposite reaction to that stuff she was like i don't know if i want to be doing all of that and trying to figure that out i think she's more in the camp of she just she she wants you to give her a weapon that she can just use and she doesn't have to want to worry about you know trying to fuse it to a giant boulder or whatever. I'm a little bit um, in that camp too. Yeah. Like I'll, yeah. I want to get my hands on it, but I, I to, I'm, I'm sort of there too. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure she'll come around to it. Um, but it, 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 they are intimidating looking systems just in terms of how much it seems like you can do with them. Yeah. But it seems like one of those things where it's going to have a huge ceiling, all these systems combining. Oh my God, people are going to, delightfully break the hell out of this game in the, the way that, you know, the videos that are going to come out oh of this my God. Uh, are going to be crazy. Yes. All the true. stuff that people build. Yeah. But videos are great, but that does not influence my personal experience. You know, like yeah, when right. I see something really cool now, I get excited, but it, it doesn't affect what I did in breath of the wild. Does, well, that, does that make no, sense? No, I think that's exactly where I'm going with it. It's like, yeah, I think yeah. there's going to be wild high level play for this. And I say break the game, but I mean, that's kind of the, the point of the game they want it to be bent and pushed in this way that's the whole point yeah. of as they put it multiplicative gameplay or whatever right um but i think it's still going to be just so surface level acceptable and uh, accessible is a better word to use um that i don't i don't expect it to be too intimidating just for doing stuff like okay fuse the way they brought it up is like you know you get a stick at so many points in Breath of the Wild, like, I, I'm never going to use this weapon again. What's the point? Mm -hmm. But it's like, okay, but if you have Fuse, you put a rock on there and suddenly it's a viable weapon again. And yes, your weapons will still yeah. break, but if you're just fusing all these weird things as a way to, I don't know, kind of level out the item playing field a little bit for usability. And, and Aonuma sounded insane at some points during that narration where he was like, <laughs> look, I put a mushroom on my shield. <laughs> what, what? Why? And I'm like, why would you do that? Yeah, uh, I mean, but then he explained it. It it all has systems, and so that those were the kind of things that I that I enjoyed most about the original Breath of the Wild, and it and felt like they were underutilized at the same time. Yeah, at, at least in terms of this the uh, physics, I liked having your different powers and and bombs and whatnot. But there there weren't that many times where it was like, oh, I can push a boulder down on those guys. Like that's a very specific situation that you had to find that was pretty well telegraphed as something that you could do. And hopefully in this, it certainly seems like you can just build those things yourself because you're interacting with so much more and you have so many more things that you can do with those things. I do oh. worry that you're going to see like videos, like the eyeball on the arrow. That makes yeah, I just want to mention arrow. that. Yes. Right? Like what if like I play the whole game and then like a week later, I'm like, wait, I could have been putting <laughs> this tail on a sword and it would have changed everything and I just like <laughs> I imagine though, that, you know? some of that will be baked into like the I wouldn't say the main quest but like I could see yeah, you getting some of that info on. maybe even from like an MP like cryptic NPC discussions yep, yep. or something like I feel like some like with Breath of the Wild the first the first game like with the original Breath of the Wild I think a lot of us were able to do a lot more than you would necessarily think. So I'm not, even though I did watch this, Kyle, just like you, and I'm like, man, I'm nervous about some of these puzzles. Like, I don't yeah, know. Like, yeah. I can barely do it when you give me what to do. But I think it's lent itself to creativity and fun in such a cool way. And yeah, the fusibility, um, hands down, the most memed thing to come out of this <laughs> 
10 minute gameplay thing because I, I watched it this morning and so I just wasn't like looking at any of the content that people were putting out but I saw like 8 million memes of people like and then I put a gun on the stick and then right I saw it. all this ridiculous stuff and when when the eyeball got put onto the arrow and the arrow honed in on the enemy I was like done like oh my <laughs> so god this good. game is gonna be so fun like so I love stuff like that I, I think it's cool that they're catering also towards that lower level combat skill like in the way they discussed it like oh this is a way if you have trouble with combat you can use these tools to kind of outwit your enemies instead of just feeling like you have to grind for a really good weapon so i would have yeah. to imagine that in the puzzle design they're also being mindful of that idea of base level players and also kind of like you know scaling appropriately based on what's optional and what's main quest but yeah, yeah that was fire you know link going through the little like even though i've seen it before like going through the walls like i was like yep we're done we're good this it's, is awesome it's, it's the best tone for a presentation because it was just a numa for 10 minutes being like check this out <laughs> like it's just him <laughs> kind of showing off just a tease of everything which is exactly what you want for something like this but um yeah, yeah speaking of speaking of the memes i saw on the zelda reddit this morning they're talking about like oh do you ever wonder why link has the weird mullet in this one and then they show a picture of like, oh, he's, he's turning into MacGyver. It's just with the fuse ability, he's just MacGyvering <laughs> everything know, and funny. piecing it all together to make it all happen. But then it's fun to see like people really dissecting everything that's in here. And, you know, maybe you could assume it from the way they're uh, showing stuff off. But it's like, okay, we're not going to get like bomb arrows and ice arrows, presumably this time around. The way it's just going to work is if you have your default arrow and you can't swap that, but then you're just fusing and... Like that an with ice, ice. <laughs> and I, yeah, ice cube, or you know, they showed like a tease of like, oh, you can fuse it with a leaf. You know, it's like I don't know exactly what that would make, but that's going to be weird to have like not variations on these things. It's just it's all going to come down to fusion. I can't huh. wait to make the most useless weapon ever because I just <laughs> know for a fact I'm going to be like, wait, but if you take this sword and you you know put some jelly on it, now <laughs> it's really slippery. Like I don't know what's going to happen with it, um, yes. but I'm excited to find out. I feel like this is the Legofication of Link with the mm. specifically with the building the vehicles. I'm like, this is basically like you ever see those um like boxcar races where like the little derby ones where people are like I made this out of uh, a bunch of Amazon boxes yep. and some duct tape. Yep. That's gonna be all of us just rolling down the hills. Um, yeah, I'm excited for it for sure. Yeah, just the goop between the different logs of the boat and stuff that he made is so interesting and like that. It's gonna be a lot of managing that battery. Because it's interesting just to see like yeah. how they're activating stuff of like, okay, you you make a little raft and then you put a sail on it and then you put the little fan on it and then you actually whack the fan with your sword to activate it. And then there's a little phone battery icon that'll slowly drain as you're trying to navigate around with it. So I'm curious to see like if that's going to be upgradable and imagine it will be just so you can fly further and do more stuff but just the idea of whacking stuff to get around is, is wild so and, more justice oh, for weapons breaking there we go team weapons break wow okay all right yeah it, everything will break but you won't care because you'll be slapping everything together that's possible in this game it just looks absurd I want to be able to pick up the pieces of my weapon and fuse them back together into the weapon <laughs> I was just... I'm was sorry. Just we got to draw our limits somewhere with this gameplay, Jeff. No. Um, uh, I think, too, like, you know, kind of imagining what's to come um, in terms of, like, what you brought up, Kyle, with, oh, I wonder if I'll put 80 hours into this and not realize I could put the eyeball on the arrow. I think we'll get some of those more basic use cases displayed through the enemies because in this um, gameplay segment, they showed an enemy that had a fused weapon. So right. I imagine that... Yeah. 
part of how they're teaching you what you can create is through those enemies and the weapons that they wield against you. Yeah, and you say you're worried about people being like, oh, you dummy, why aren't you doing this? Like, I will gladly take a game that's like that, Kyle, just for the explosion of discussion that's going to be happening while everyone's right. playing this game. Is everyone's going to be tossing out suggestions? I mean, the MinMax Discord is going to be overflowing. Though I gotta admit, like we've all gotten <laughs> to the end of that game where it's like you could open the map. Oh yeah. my god! I <laughs> like so I don't much care time. if people. I don't care if people think I played it in a dumb right. way. I, like if, like you know, putting Resident Evil Four on, playing it on easy or something. Like I don't really care if someone is going to berate me about that, uh, Ben. Uh, <laughs> but, but what I what I don't want is that it's like I miss out on something really cool. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, there's a there's a YouTube video from Captain Burger Son that I enjoyed watching, uh, breaking down like the UI changes because it does look so similar. I'm like, hey, people must be picking up something here. Oh and, yeah, there was one like. Yeah, like there was one thing that turned on only when he was in the water, but then when he started walking, like there's stuff like that, you know? Yep, where people are wondering like, oh, does that mean you think that you can dive in this game and then ascend? Because that animation where he's going through the cave certainly looks like him swimming. So maybe you can dive in certain spots and use ascend to like swim back up to the surface. Which, by the way, horrifying idea like of being in the rock and like swimming through. Like, I don't know if that's a magic meter that can expire and you're just like (laughs) stuck in there. That's just like, that's the thing of nightmares do you ever think about how many dead people are inside mountains right now dude no there's probably a lot of them in there they're they're, yeah with because they tried to (laughs) 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 anyways but with the ui like the most obvious thing maybe is like oh there's coordinates on the map now like on the mini map so it tells you exactly where you're at like height wise as well which is interesting so like oh my god a blessing for every guides writer out there exactly they're gonna have just numbers as walls for all these guys okay it looks like a face you take a right yes yeah forget (laughs) that facing you before you take the right oh gosh (laughs) this is gonna be just a number spreadsheet at this point oh Um, yeah, there's gonna be so many like, uh, with especially with the fusion stuff. There's gonna, I mean, it's endless, like, well, seemingly endless content in terms of what you can feel, like these different flow charts of what the yep. base, like, environment, what the elemental, environmental, like, things do, and then what the weapons do, and then you like cross, like, pollinate them to make like a, a gun with a leaf on it. It's gonna be great. Uh, but then there is also interesting stuff if you zoom in on that mini map, like. Um, there's caves, right? Because you see him ascend through that cave. But then when you go in the cave and then come back out, there's a little check mark that automatically appears on the cave. So it's nice that it's like automatically tracking where you've been to some extent. Also, it looks like there is a shrine on the mini-map. It like looks a little bit different, but it seems like shrines in some capacity will be back. Although it's also right next to another weird rectangle cubey thing that people are still trying to figure out exactly what that is. Um, Kyle, there's also Reddit was really diving in deep. And, and losing their minds. And as somebody who wrote the damn book when it comes to Zelda lore, do you care about this Zonai stuff? Do you know about it? Yeah, this? of course. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. like, um, yeah, I don't remember the, ex- well, yeah, what, what were the exact details? It's like another race from the past, right? Right, so it seems like a lot of the old buildings in Breath of the Wild, I don't know if it's in anything in Zelda beyond Breath of the Wild, but a lot of the old buildings were this Zonai race, an early civilization, lost civilization, yada, yada, yada. But then there's just a snippet of a move that's shown in this game uh, that those new enemies uh, use, or Link acquires or something. It's on the screen yeah. for a second, it's called the Zonai Charge. So everyone's like, oh, we were right. It's going to be a huge part of the storyline. So everyone's freaking yeah, out about the Zonai it's, stuff. It's like they're mentioned, I think, in Breath of the Wild. Like, mm. 
and there's a Zonai armor set, I, I think. Is right? that right? But it's like it, there's not really like any big story about them in Breath of the Wild or anything. So yeah, I, I love that stuff. That stuff's exciting. Okay, right on. Um, do you think you'll be able to fuse weapons to your vehicles and then like ram into people? Do you think I can just put like oh, Mad Max? Yeah. Can I turn this game to Mad Max? I mean, can I like put Probably. four swords not on a Game Boy Advance, but instead like just put them nice. on each wheel of a car? And then just like run through a bunch of weirdos. I, I bet you can. I bet I mean, you can. Weapons are as objects just like anything else. So you can just pick it up and attach it probably, right? Right. I would think can so. Do you actually steer the car though that you make? Or is it just wheels on a platform and it's just going to go where it's going? They, in that very first trailer, their first, you know, where we're like, whoa, that's a vehicle. It kind of looked like he had some kind of some, steering mechanism. But yeah, that's a good question. I'm so not him sure. making everything except for the steering wheel. Like, oh, I don't know. It can't be done. <laughs> That's the one part you can't figure out. Yeah. You, can't, you can't, couldn't find the circle. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Nothing circle shaped. What are you going to do? Yeah. People are uh, people are still screaming about dungeons. It seems like, hey, hey, this is cool and all, but give us the dungeons. It feels like that's still the biggest yeah. question mark around yeah. this thing. I mean, that's something they can totally just withhold till yeah. launch. I mean, my thought about the, the, the Tears of the Kingdom stuff is like, we've seen so little to the point where there are complaints. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But the second that game is in our hands, like the Wikipedia article for Tears of the Kingdom will not have an entry that'll be like they were they revealed surprisingly little about Tears of the Kingdom before the game. You know what I mean? Like it's it's we're worried about it now, but it's not going to be something that we're talking about in years to come. Yeah. Speaking of talking about for years, I already saw the discourse a little bit bubbling up. Um, How do you think it looked, Janet? I feel like this is going to be something we're going to be talking about all year. Is Tears of the Kingdom, yes, but Switch, a little long in the tooth. Well, I'm just having that conversation all uh, I mean, all I think year. it looked fine. Like, yeah. it looked like what I expected it to look like. It looked like Breath of the Wild uh, right. in both the art design and the fidelity. Uh, that being said, Breath of the Wild did not run well. And frankly, um, I think it looks a little rough around the edges playing it even a few years after it came out, let alone now. But yeah. none of that really ends up mattering because the game is so good. So I think that'll be the same case. I think it'll be a footnote in most people's reviews and you know i'm sure plenty of content will be made because there's people that you know focus on making fidelity based content like uh friggin digital foundry will have like really a lot of interesting things to say about maybe the limitations and the whatever but i'm also on team like i don't think the switch is on its way out the door yeah. i'd be really surprised if we got new hardware from nintendo like anytime soon Next it'd be nice years, why yeah. not but i think i think they're in on this for a while so yeah, I maybe think you should so. get that OLED. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. <clears throat> it's it's just gonna be weird to see how much people can push this. And yeah, there are parts that chug in Breath of the Wild, but like in a game where you can haul all of these items and theoretically assemble something huge and have it all collapse, like it just seems like it's a recipe for a frame rate disaster. Um, but you know what? If it's like the rare occasion of people trying to break it by making a giant log cabin, that's fine. Which, which, by the way, that is another thing that's interesting. If you look at this gameplay, there are several spots that show, like, construction sites around the world, like, kind of half-finished mm. construction sites. So it seems like one of the things they're holding back on is probably that you'll be doing a lot of rebuilding towns or just building yeah, towns. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I think it's going to be really cool, just like the ultimate Dark Cloud sequel. Uh, Freaking hell. Oh, also, they confirmed that uh, this thing is done. Um development we're done (laughs) which i feel like doesn't i mean it's it's heavily implied by the existence of games coming out but i feel like most (laughs) showcases don't have we're done like i don't know like is that just me like i've never seen anyone say 
we are done. I've seen like oh. we're nearing the end, or we just went gold. But like just going gold, done. I feel like I see all the time. Yeah, I, I kind of equate it to that. So, yeah, but. no, you're right. It is. It is just nice to hear. Like the language of it just felt like so yeah. like casual. Like mm-hmm. oh, by the way, it's it's ready now. <laughs> Take it, this please. It's been baking for five, six years. Oh or my god. Uh, but yeah, May twelfth. This thing is coming oh, out. I- Oh, yeah. I did want to shout out that something we all assumed, but was happy to have a confirmation that if you just jump from the Sky Islands, mm-hmm. it, it's, a, it's a clean transition. No oh, yeah. Loading. Just yeah. The narration that. there was so funny, too. It's like, look how fun it is. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be falling. And I was for a like, very you're right. Time. It is fun to jump from a high height and just fall for miles. That looks fantastic. I do kind of worry about it. Like, you know, it's a rare instance where it's like, OK, this enemy that he's fighting, it has like a giant fan contraption fly swatter type thing. So it kind of made Link fly off. But it's like if you got all the way up to the Sky Islands and then you get hit by an enemy and you fall all the way down and like and it's going to be I don't know. There's going to be multiple ways to do it, but still it's going to be you have to make some effort to get back up there. I could see that being frustrating but also that kind of sounds like a fun game moment it's like oh my god are you kidding me i fell all the way off that thing again it'd be kind of yeah. funny if it was more special yeah, every time you're up there you know but uh yeah may 12th let's know in the comments what we didn't think of for combining these powers because just based on what we've seen i'm sure there's a million things that we haven't pieced together like that i feel like quite fuse is kind of the the go-to yeah maybe meme fuel at this point janet but like i think recall and just being able to rewind any object that is going to be bananas uh like during boss fights can you rewind like some of their attacks if they have like if they're throwing objects at you to have them hit them instead and two is thinking like can i just go through the ceiling and run away like i'm looking to leave like i'm I'm not (laughs) looking to engage in any of these battles i'm Uh looking to dip as easily as i can so we're all worried about being too dumb for this game and we just want to run away from everything and that's the a tone we're taking for Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. That's why I play, play everything. You know, <laughs> when, when he was like, "Oh, you can create some distance," I was like, "Yeah, let's keep adding it on. Give yep. me the longest, the world's longest poking stick." <laughs> Just awkwardly <laughs> holding that hundred-yard yeah. stick. Yeah. Do you think you Completely. can only use two things? Like, can you? Good do you question. Think, well, no, they because never showed more than two. I yeah, they think. do. They do for the logs in the boat. That's still fuse. No, but that's like Is the that, God Hand I, thing. I, I think no, that that's different. Hand. That's different. No, yeah, no, no. Like so he used fuse and ultra hand. He used fuse to put the logs together, and then ultra hand to adjust where the logs were. Mm. Yeah, I guess I mean weapons specifically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought I thought ultra hand also sticks things together. I'm checking the tape. Was my interpretation of that because that because I don't know that I saw that goop when he was just fusing weapons. Yeah. yeah. Well, they don't reveal. Oh, maybe you're right. So it doesn't reveal exactly what the name is until he adjusts it. But maybe that does make more sense. I feel like if it's only two, they might allow for more given certain parameters being met, whether it's like upgrading an ability or like maybe it's, I mean, it's not, it's not battery based. It's not like that weird stamina battery thing based, but I could see something that like creates like an in-game limitation based on some other meter where it's like oh well you could do it but you wouldn't be able to really wield it or something like that right yeah, yeah. but i don't know i hope yeah. we can put a but i want to make just a really long stick it's everyone's making stuff this i want to make a long stick that's it yeah it, it does look like you're right jeff and that it is ultra hand for for that so i take it all back i take back everything i said about this game but um it is like one of those things of like you know, people always say, oh, why doesn't Pokemon make a game where you can fuse any Pokemon together? Wouldn't that be cool? It's, I know there's like, a, there's like that fan project, you know, that where you can do it with like the sprites and stuff. But it's like everyone, or I'm sure a lot of developers will have this idea of like, hey, what if you could fuse any items together? It's like, well, that's impossible. That would take like 
seven years of development with a top tier yeah. team to be able well, to pull that was, that was off. Funny like, like, obviously, well. we, I don't know anything about the development of Tears of the Kingdom. I don't know why it took so long, etc. But like there, that moment where they had the basics of Fuse revealed and how it worked, I was like, oh yeah, I bet that took a really <laughs> Yeah, this time. sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> but God bless them for doing they, it. They were almost done and they added just one more object. And it's like, now we got to add that to a hundred other objects. Get yeah. out of here. It, oh my God. I hope they give another GDC talk explaining this game and how it was made. Um, all right. Hey, that's, that's just the kingdom. Um, hey, PAX East happened. Well, we were all out at GDC, or I guess me and Kelsey and Haley, uh, Janet was out at PAX East, the place to be. Um, it felt like the cool hip show compared to GDC being the somber, quiet, let's talk about game development with show. Tornadoes, apparently? <laughs> oh, yeah, with yeah, a bunch lot, of tornadoes. There. It was a mess. Anyway. Uh, did you have a good time at PAX East? Yeah, I had a great time at PAX East. Really? What was the, what was the highlight <laughs> socially? <laughs> well, not. What was like the highlight socially, though? Oh, socially? Um, I mean, honestly, just getting to see a lot of people in person that I've only met online. I know yeah. that's kind of cliched at this point, but I think the combination of the nature of our work where so much of collaboration and conversation is digital combined with the reality of the pandemic and the way that that halted a lot of events. And then even now it's like, there, I mean, I'm sure there's many people that still don't want to even go to these events due to safety concerns, which I think is totally valid. And I'm glad that PAX East is still a mask mandatory event. Yeah, that's interesting. Forever is. <laughs> I think anything that has that many people, you should have a mask on. Like yeah. any place that has hundreds of thousands of people, <laughs> you should have a mask on um, just in general. But yeah, just getting to see everybody, you know, um, a lot of the panel, like I did two panels. I did one on yeah. um, the GameCube, like is the greatest console of all time. And the other one was um, video game Tinder. And like I, a lot of people I'd never met before in person. And that was really fun. And, you know, um, I got to get dinner with Steve Saylor and my friend played Jason. Oh, nice. So that was cool. Um, you know, Jared Petty was there. So like stop, just hey. catching up with people that I haven't seen. Uh, yeah. Going to karaoke. I did karaoke for the first time. What was that your was, first song? Fun. First song. What'd you go for? Um, I actually played more of a support role because I'm not that interested in karaoke. So <laughs> not interested in karaoke. <laughs> no, not really. I, I went for the culture. I didn't go for the the tunes, the glory. You know, I sang um, Taylor Swift's Blank Space because the person singing okay. it was like, "Who's gonna sing this with me? I don't want to sing it alone." And I'm like, "Sure, I know Blank Space." Sort. Then I then I sang it, and I'm like, "I don't know it as well as I thought I did, but I did it pretty well. I, I was decent. I held my own." Yeah, yeah. I I, I sh sound shocked about not being in love with karaoke. Then I realized I don't think. Kyle and Jeff and me don't seem like karaoke people either. Although no. Kyle, we did in Japan, right? Yeah, that was fun. Okay, I, I like fun. it. I, I don't like it in the, the sort of American bar. Yes, I am totally I, with you. I don't yeah. like that, but like the sort of uh, private room. It's that's what it's we did. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely the way to go. Um, yeah, I did some karaoke during GDC as well, and it was super fun. Except, um, you know, there's somebody that I was in there with, and they're like, "Oh, Disney. I'm really into Disney stuff." I'm like, "I've got you. I've got your back. Let's find all these Disney songs." And all the Disney songs were from like the remakes. It's like, all right, do you want to do uh, Will oh, Smith? Like one jump ahead. Yeah, like we, yeah, it's like Will Smith's friend like me. I'm like, I, I think there's gonna be some weird twist in here that I'm not gonna be excited to sing. I don't think I can do it. I got to bail. So you didn't watch it. Uh, I did. I did watch it. Okay. I just didn't memorize right. Will okay. Smith's all take right. on all of the Aladdin <laughs> tracks. Understandable. Um, oh, and also just seeing like fans was also very cool. Like Ooh, a lot yeah. of people came up to me and, and talked to me about my work and everything. Um, oh, if, if I may, if I may, Janet, if I may, this isn't an ego thing, but I'm curious, like, what is the ratio for you for fans I, from okay, Kind of Funny I the Midnight? I I like no. You always ask that. I know. I know. Kind of Funny is huge. Kind of Funny is huge. I just I'm curious to see where we're at culturally at a place like PAX. I mean, I 
feel like there was... She's smirking too much. I don't know what this is. I mean, if you're asking, like, is Kona Funny more popular than Min Max? I'm not. Yes. No, like, I know that. That's the answer that you're really actually asking me. <laughs> um, but people usually are not exclusively, but oftentimes they did mention, like, my work at Kind of Funny and Min Max. Um, okay. I would still say if they only an- mentioned one, it probably would be Kind of Funny. Well, yeah. Um, but, yeah. So not like 70-30, 80-20, 90-10? Uh, <laughs> Why do you like this? I like numbers. <laughs> Something to look inward for. Um, yeah, hey, next time you see me, mention Min Max and Min Max alone. But um, okay. I don't know. Maybe like, maybe 70, 30. Okay. I could, pff, that's great. Sometime? That's great. I don't know. That's great. I don't know. I feel like people mentioned like what I do generally. Um, right. Or they maybe didn't name the outlets. They said, I'm a fan of your work. And I'm like, okay, great. Thanks for like, you know, watching or listening or whatever. Um, I did see someone. <laughs> Is that what you said to them? <laughs> <laughs> to their faces? No, I was like, anyway. I'm not about to get, I see where this is going. I'm not about to get grilled on this. Um, I did see, though, one person from our GameCube panel when you had, like, the um, audience involvement. They had a min-max shirt on. Ooh, wow. So people are wow. rocking the shirts, all That's right? So sweet. there you go. That is sweet. A feather in your cap, Ben. You know, hold on I to love that. It. Keep you Keep you through the cold months. Thank you. Uh, just, to, just to fully cross the streams, yeah, I... Uh, there's like one one mixer where I talked to Blessing. Uh, I know. A fair bit. Yeah, he's in the travel log for a bit. Me. Oh, really? Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Oh God, what they say? No, don't tell me. It's gonna be. <laughs> it's gonna be too kind. No, they were all very nice. All the kind of funny people were super nice to, to interact with all GDC week. But there was a moment where I think we we're talking calendars and uh, Tamor from Gamespot and Giant Bomb and also kind of funny every once in a while. He took out his calendar and showed off his calendar of just like content for the upcoming week. And Blessing did the same. Janet, I've never been more scared in my life. Like, I know they're two very busy, successful people. Those calendars were so packed, I wanted to jump out a window. And I said to myself, (laughs) if this ever becomes my life of having that much content and that tightly scheduled... That sounds miserable, and it's I chilled like me to my core. I feel like you do a lot, though, Ben. You just don't put it on the calendar. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, about. so it feels all loose and fun here. It's, I'll put stuff that's communal on the calendar. Because I'm watching, like, the Instagram stories we do that you do. Right, and right. it's always like, hi, what's up? Today, like, at MinMax, we have, you know, 80 things, and I got back from this one thing, and now I'm posting this other thing. Right, and then, right, right. you know, And again, of all those things, on my calendar, I got, like, Two things, maybe three from mm. Minmax, right? It's pretty like it's pretty light, but you know, yeah. I mean, people use calendars, Ben. You see, it's not just me. It, it's it, not just me. Other people are filling up those calendars. I just feel uh, it feels less fun if you're making video game content if you're as tightly scheduled as a blessing or to more. I think that's that's what I am scared of at some point. It feels too much crown, like a know? job. I think that's exactly it. Um, sorry, but uh, you got to play some cool games at PAX. Yeah, uh, I play a lot of great games at PAX. Um, do we just want to run down my, my favorite? It's funny because people ask me on the floor too, you know, like anyone that I like walked up to or like met casually, I'm like, oh, what do you like on the floor? And they're like, what's your favorite thing? And I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't know. I didn't think of it. And so even when you asked me, I was like, oh, it's time to finally do the work. I'm so stressed about it. But um, yeah, I enjoyed almost everything I played, um, wow. if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> I guess kicking it off. I yeah. One of the first... Well, one of the first things I played that I loved, I kind of knew I would love because I technically had played it before at West, but I got an appointment this time for it. Uh, this is Bread and Fred from the publisher Apogee and the developer Sandcastle Studio. Yeah. Um, the, when I played it at PAX West, I just played it very... So the way it works too, like just to kind of zoom out or like behind the scenes stuff. So it depends on like your level of, I guess, clearance, right? I applied for media 
this time for East because I wanted to be on the like email lists for appointments. Um, I noticed that for West, I just wanted special guests for my panel. Right. So I missed a lot of like the PR stuff. And I'm like, no, I really want to see a bunch of stuff. So like when I first played Bread and Fred, I just like sat down. There was like a the way a regular person on the show floor would. But this time they had um, appointments. They didn't have a booth at PAX, but they did have um, like a hotel room. So seven so appoint for that. Bread and Fred, it is a um, it's a co-op game, but you can play it separately. They did uh, create a single player mode and you are two penguins and you're working your way up a mountain and you're like tethered to each other. And, is it a prisoner um, situation? Why are they tied to each other? They're just helping why, each other. Okay, so I also I gotta say, and I don't know if like the average people are gonna listen to this later, but Mm-mm. I'm genuinely I love this game. I'm red hot in this game. I think this is it's so much fun. But once since I kind of knew it more and I was more comfortable and I and I was playing with Isaiah. Isaiah was um, there with me on a lot of my appointments, almost all of them, and like he was my player two for this. Um, I was losing my mind playing this game and I'm like, I hope y'all don't take this unprofessionally. This is just my natural reaction. It is so fun and so funny. I was laughing. I was in tears trying to ask my dumb question and I have good questions, but this one was <laughs> a dumb question that I asked. Where I was uh-huh. like, okay, I gotta know. And I was like through tears at the end of the appointment. I'm like, so Brett and Fred, are they like, are they friends? Are they brothers? Are they just, what's, going like, on what's going on here? Penguins with and, benefits. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the developer is like, you know, we, they're they're whatever you kind of want them to be. So oh, feel free coward. to impose, impose, you know, your own lore on Brett and Fred. Um, I will say one of them has like a big, a taller head and like kind of a big forehead. Uh, that's the character I played as. Uh, wasn't intentional, but did work out. Interesting. Yeah. So it seems like if, remember that game we played for New Show Plus at some point called Fling to the Finish. Yes, and that was also on the floor. Oh, was it really? Oh, weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah, where people are tied together. It's like mm-hmm. I think that's that's such a good format for just a silly co-op game to have the physics chaos in there and stuff. Um, yeah, I will. I will say this is definitely tight, much tighter than that kind of game. Okay. Um, at a quick glance at it, and if you're watching the video version, you can see the gameplay. It visually almost looks kind of like Celeste in setting because you start out on this wintry mountaintop. Right. Right. Um, but you know, you do your jumps together, and you can kind of like have one person. Um, smoosh themselves down to like act as an anchor while the other person swings. Um, and one really cool thing about, I think, doing coverage in this way where you're seeing on the show floor like throughout the year or throughout the years is you do get to see the little changes. So from like my time at West to now East, they added in um, emotes, which normally it's like, okay, it's cute. Like I'm talking to them though. Like why am I going to use it? They added in one that is a three, two, one countdown that appears. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so smart. Yeah. Now I don't have to just keep saying, all right, all right. When are we going? When are right, we going to look right. at the thing? So even in that small amount of time, I feel like they're making some really cool changes. Um, Difficulty wise, it is quite challenging, but they have a system you can toggle on to put flags down at will, which act as your own checkpoints. Mm. So that's what makes it feasible for me because it's very hard otherwise. But it's it's so fun. It's so funny. There's so much care. And like when you fall down really far, um, you know, Link uh, Tears of the Kingdom style, you like face Mm. plant and then you just stay there until you like get up. Perfect. Um, But it's just such a joy to play um and i think it is really tightly and well made so unlike other kind of wonky physicsy oh it's funny because that we're like bad at it it feels like i'm bad at it because i'm just not good enough not because mm-hmm. it was made to be super slippery or anything so um i like love the hell out of this game and they also showed us at the end um the current speed running like record for this game oh fun and when i tell you I watched like pro gamer out of someone just flying through the level. And I was telling the team, I'm like, I think 
the fact that someone can do this so smoothly is like a testament to what you've designed, though, in terms of even being able to pull off movements that quickly, that sharply. So, yeah, um, another thing that's cool is it's also single player. So they um, when it's single player, it's you and you're tethered to a rock and the rock can like cling to stuff the same with the other person and then the funniest thing hold on i have notes on this when it's you and the rock and this is why i was crying during this appointment like laughing at how fun and enjoyable this game is um when it's you and the rock it's not brett and fred it's greg and jeff i forgot which one is which uh-huh uh-huh perfect and it's just like the fact that they named the rock like look that got if you, you get it you get it like it's so fun <laughs> uh there is a there's a demo out for brett and fred on steam if everybody wants to check this it's thing so out. good i'm so excited oh that's nice uh, there's a game called a uh, Backpack Hero that you wanted to talk about. That also it's it's out on Steam right now in early access. Yeah. Um, but it's a inventory rogue game. Yeah. Okay. It, but it it was up your alley. Oh yeah, it's um if you like the inventory management of Resident Evil, right? Um, and you enjoyed Loop Hero, you need to play this game. Ooh. It was so fun. Okay. Um, I mean, and also if you're if you've always kind of dreamed of being someone who uses your items, I think this is also a very cathartic game for that. Finally get them out of your inventory. Exactly. Because you, that's the that's the game loop. You like have to use your stuff. Like that's the whole mechanic. Um, so essentially the way it works is you're going from like, you know, floor to floor, like du- room to room, dungeon to dungeon. You encounter enemies. Along the way, you pick up items. So it might be something like, you know, you have like a sword and maybe a consumable item or like two consumables and you have to you know slot them in a way that they'll fit and you have like a grid in your backpack that you see at the top of your screen yeah over time you also gain inventory slots and also gain items and there's like some cool like funky stuff going in with like the placement of where you put stuff on an inventory so at one point i picked up an item that was like a glove that added extra like shield or something and it added the buff increased for every space to the right of that item there was so it's like okay there's a little bit besides just That's wanting a, fun to fit idea. a lot of stuff into a space there's a bit of um gameplay in just where you put place a certain item based on if it has like any um effect on you know the buff or the debuff of that item yeah um and yeah, I mean, that's basically it. You're fighting enemies, you know, they'll have, um, it'll show its turn-based combat, so it'll show you above the enemy, like, what their next move is, like, if they're going to block or if they're going to hit. So you can kind of, um, you know, your turn is based on kind of AP, the way it would be in any, like, turn-based combat, where it's like you have this much energy or something to use. Then you have, like, consumables that might increase that energy, and you can see, like, you know, how much health the enemy has. And the combat goes really quick, really smooth, really easy. It is all just using those items. So whether you're using your sword to attack that's in your backpack or you're using some type of like buff or debuff or, you know, other additional weapon or anything like that. Um, that's basically the flow of things. And you can like drop stuff from your inventory and add things as you continue to gain spaces and go throughout it. So um, I will say that one of the key differences between this and Loop Hero is it's since it is like based on that inventory spot, you're just going through those rooms like you don't have like like loop heroes you're kind of zoomed out and kind of slowly watching a lot of things happen here it feels like you're more involved because of like the layout and the design of it Uh, they are adding a town element to it as well so it's still in early access and they're still building into it so i think if you've if any of those things sound appealing like the inventory management of re the general flow of loop hero um or the idea of finally getting to use items when you maybe have never have because that's me playing games um i really enjoyed this one a lot yeah backpack heroes and nothing um, there's a game that was also at GDC that was a, a hot one. Like Xbox was really showing it off in a big way, and it's called Botany Manor. 
Oh, really? Yeah, it was like at the Xbox Mixer thing. Um, it was like up on the big screen there. It kind of got like center stage, which is interesting. And so Balloon Studios is developing this thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a first-person game. You're wandering around a manor learning about this uh, old house and the people that live there and whatnot. But it's all based on puzzles about growing seeds, right? Yeah, basically. It's uh, you play as in a retired botanist who's kind of getting back into it and sort of relearning or rediscovering old notes. So essentially you're exploring this manor and you go room to room and you use the stuff in the environment and also like the, the clues you see along the way or can interact with along the way to solve the puzzle of how do you grow this plant. So it starts off unsurprisingly pretty simple right with the first one it's a matter of okay i got like this postcard and the seeds are from i'm making up the location because i don't remember like italy and then i see a chart that mentions how what temperature this plant grows at based on the region but also oh what type of plant is it again let me look at the pack of seeds okay okay so it's 68 degrees let me set this and then boom it blooms and you go continue through the manor and some of them are more fantastical than that like one of the puzzle solutions is you take like an old school photograph and the flash is the thing that causes it to bloom Ooh, so it does get a little funky at that's times. cool so it's kind of just a more puzzle focused gone home centered around growing plants like that sounds awesome yeah i mean it's it's a walking sim i i think the things yeah. that pop to me in terms of comparisons are um you know, for vibes, I think strange horticulture. For gameplay, I think of the um, botany section in Escape Academy. Actually, oh, comes okay, to mind. sure. So, um, and you know, visually, it has kind of that soft painterly look, kind of like Witness esque, maquette esque, like what you see in a lot of these sort of first person puzzle games. But right. yeah, I thought the puzzles were were really well done, controlled great. I, um, I mean, I booked all of these appointments thinking like these games might be good obviously who's booking stuff we're like oh this looks awful let me see mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. But, but still this really um surprised me because it's exactly what i hoped it would be when i kind of heard that initial pitch yeah um and i think if you like you know puzzle stuff if you like cozy games plant games um this is going to be one that you want to pay attention to botany manor is the name of that one um yeah speaking of which there was a game that i didn't see at gdc but now i'm kicking myself in the butt for not going on my way to find um because I feel like for so many kind of, there's so many indie mixers and all this stuff at GDC and you wander around, you look at so many games and it's a lot of like, that looks good. All right, I got it. I got it. I got it. And I was just looking for something that like wowed me. And I feel like if I would have seen this demo, it would have wowed me, but it's a game called Viewfinder, which is also a first person Mm -hmm. puzzle game. Jeff, have you seen Viewfinder? I saw just a short a short like oh is it the one i posted in slack or whatever twitter video yeah oh okay like that wasn't it on a playstation showcase yes it was oh it was god i completely forgot about it uh but yeah it's coming out this year it's from sad owl studios and thunderful's the publisher but the premise for this is you have like an old polaroid camera and you're taking a picture of stuff or you have pictures and then wherever you place the picture in this first person game you then move and the world will distort for example if you take like a picture of a a castle and then you set it in the world then you can then walk into the picture and the picture becomes a 3d environment that you can navigate and so trying to wrap your mind around puzzles with this it it feels a little like super liminal yeah maquette you mentioned it feels like in that vein just of just mind warping puzzles but it's one of the coolest ideas i've seen in games in a long time it's a, it's just more f-stop material, Kyle. From yeah, from Phil, yeah, yeah, it is reminiscent of it. it is, that was like my first thought: the super liminal kind of 
type of game yeah yeah but if you haven't seen footage of it look up footage of viewfinder just to just to see this um because it looks freaking wild um janet just from the outside do you think that uh final fantasy 16 was like the biggest big game at pax no offense to the indie games jill Grote, don't cut my throat please um i mean in terms of especially like that panel i think was fairly popular or like yeah. Final Fantasy in general. Like I anecdotally, I ran into some of Isaiah's friends who were on the floor and they were big Final Fantasy fans. And they're like, oh, we were going to go on the panel. And then the we, we like went and it's 30 minutes, but then it was already booked. And then I was so sad. I was so distraught. And then I realized, oh my God, that's the wrong Final Fantasy, which is funny that even the fans can mix them up. But like they wanted the the other one, the Final Fantasy. Um, 14? God, what is it? Yes. The one that had like the big talk and all the gameplay stuff came out of Wait, it. Wait, so like, 16 cool. was the, the big talk one, right? Sure. What whatever one was the whatever one was the one that had <laughs> no you, know, you, know, you know what I'm trying to like get at it's the one that no, had um you know the developer talking and there was like all these snippets written about like what came out of this like panel. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. like the one Yeah, the new one, sixteen. Wanted. Yeah. Yeah, sixteen, sure. They're like, Oh wait, no, it's sixteen. <laughs> cool. They were like trying to go to like I think fourteen or something before some other panel that's okay. unrelated. And then they went and they did say that, and I forgot what day it was on. I think it was on Saturday. Um and they're like, Oh, I'm surprised that it wasn't like completely full. No offense to like the panel or anything, but like, huh. I don't know, like that's one thing they noted on. But um, the other thing that came to mind for it was one, they were like, oh, I love how succinct it was. Like it gave us information. I was totally all in on it. Like it seems like if you were a fan or are following that game that you got a lot of good stuff out of that panel. And then another anecdote thing was one of them had a bag, like one of those like little convention bags from it. And someone was stopped them like on the floor and they're like, where'd you get that bag? And they went off to go find it. Cause again, like, you know, Final Fantasy. Run the fandom has got everything. Yeah, th- I watched the panel. It's all online. If you want to check it out, this is for for sixteen. But um, you know, it when it started, here's a commentary directory. When it started, it kind of reminded me of everything that I was worried about with Final Fantasy sixteen. Of just like you know, they have the main character, and he's like, eh, I slipped in a gutter. If- Killed more men than I could possibly count. Who wants... I don't want this gruff, bloody Final Fantasy nonsense. But then, like, the entire panel, Yoshi P at this point, after so many years of just getting beaten down and built back up with Final Fantasy XIV, like, they are so good at communicating with the community. Because the theme of the rest of the panel was, hey, here's all the fan questions, here's all the things you all are worried about with sixteen. And here's point by point, let's let's break it down and I'll, and I'll be honest with you and tell you exactly where we're at. Where it's like, okay, first of all, everyone's saying that the game is uh, dark and it's small corridors, like incorrect. It was just like the first big media blast where we invited people to play. Uh, they, we had them play that area to focus on combat. And the reason we gave them that area is because we finished that area first. So that's the only reason that everybody thinks this game is dark. And now here, <laughs> I'm going to boot up a PS5, prove I'm actually playing. I'm going to show you some big open desert area that also you'll be exploring in 16. And like everyone worried about the lack of, you know, RPG mechanics. Like, here's why you're wrong. We're going to be going more into RPG mechanics in the future, stuff like that. Um, so it was just, it was so refreshing to have a panel. Kind of point by point, seemed to be very much hearing where the fan base is at and what we're worried about. And I still am worried a little bit about the tone and just kind of the the world and whether I will enjoy talking to people in this game. Uh, you know, it's still we're coming we're coming up on the launch of this thing in June, and I feel like. I haven't seen a character that I really want to interact with yet in Final Fantasy 16. And like for a series all about characters, it has me a little concerned. But so <laughs> That's many has been my question. Right. But so many other beats, I feel like that they are on top of it. And so you can check out that Final Fantasy 16 trailer if you want to see more of the world and see them actually running the game on a PS5, which is cool to see. 
Um, and also, yeah, I just appreciated them booting up the, the PS5 version and just constantly being like, oh, I hope this doesn't break. Oh, I hope that it seems, doesn't yeah, break. Yeah, it seems stressful. <laughs> it, it definitely seems stressful. But then, like, we really want to prove to you that this is real gameplay. So, like, the translator reached over and, like, grabbed the controller and just, like, bah! just, like, wiggled the analog sticks just so the character oh, wow. flail around. It's like, it was, it was a good, nah. classy way of showing it off. I would have pulled up an MP4 and been like, you know what? You don't need to see what it actually looks Let's like. Let's slowly walk you through all these environments, yeah. Um, Kyle, I was thinking about Final Fantasy when watching this 16 stuff. Remember yeah. how, like, so much of the messaging uh, from 15's press cycle... And I remember, like, you know, visiting them for the cover story trip as well at Game Informer. They were big on messaging, like, Final Fantasy XV is a make or break for the series. Like, if this game doesn't knock it out of the park, Final Fantasy might be done. And I was just thinking about, like, now we're at Final Fantasy XVI. I don't know if I feel that way. Also, I don't know if XV really was a make or a break. But is it just all null and void because XIV bringing in so much money that, like, the concept of these entries being make or break is just less important now? I mean, what did that even mean at the time? Like, right? I, I guess know. so. Like, it's just a captivating <laughs> it quote have to really have. Stopped at fifteen. If fifteen, I'm sure fifteen sold just fine, right? It didn't. It's not. Ever, it's not really anyone's favorite Final Fantasy or anything. Eh, but I bet there's some weirdos. Like, I think it was. I think it was a hit. But if like, if it wasn't, do we really think we wouldn't have sixteen? I don't know. But they would have tried it, but maybe just with a much smaller budget. I mean, it, it's telling you know that they canceled all that DLC for fifteen. I mean, that was kind of yeah. A pretty telltale. I mean, sign. I remember like Fire Emblem Awakening, right? That was the first 3DS one yeah. or DS one. Like they said retroactively that they're like, if that one wasn't a hit, we wouldn't have been making more Fire Emblems. Right. And like that, I believe. Like that, I am like, <laughs> I have full faith that that was a factual statement. But I don't, I don't know if I feel the same about 15. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I was looking forward to 16. It'll be a journey. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, Jeff, uh, we played this. It feels like 13 years ago. Uh, that game called Storyteller. Correct. Uh, mm -hmm. But this thing's actually out now from Annapurna, the developer Daniel Ben Mirgui. Um, Jan, did you get a chance to play Storyteller by chance? No. Okay, that's fine. Um, it seems cool. So this is the game that we streamed the demo of a long time ago. I think it was like for Steam Next Fest, where you're creating panels and mixing and matching things in the panels to try and fill these objectives of like, oh, break a character's heart, go. And then you got to piece things together that make sense. Uh, you streamed it for a couple hours, Jeffem? I streamed it for like an hour and a half, and I guess if we want to jump straight to my only criticism of the game, I stopped early because I didn't want to play the entire thing in one two-hour stream. Oh, you think it's that um, short? It's, it is that short. I, oh. I finished it uh, after the stream. Um, and so it's, it's like 50 puzzles, um, but they're... You you go through them pretty fast. Uh, that that criticism aside, like it is one of the most interesting and most entertaining puzzle games and unique puzzle games that I've that I've played wow. in a long time. Um, it's it's almost it's kind of scribble knots esque in terms of of just like giving you an overarching goal and then you have to figure it out. It's it is more focused than that because they give you the specific characters or whatever that you have to work with uh, within those panels. Right. But it's just a lot of fun kind of discovery of even, even once you figured out the solution, it's like, no, I want to go back and I want to put those two characters in that scene. So that one will murder that one. And then in the next scene, you know, the character that was in love with that one will be upset at that one. So that will trigger a completely different thing. And it's, it's just kind of emergent, 
trial and error and seeing, you know, the cause and effect of, of all these different pieces that they give you to play with. Yeah. Yeah. So storyteller. So, okay. It's on yeah, PC it's, and switch, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's totally worth your time, even though, you know, you'll get through it in a couple of hours, but just if you enjoy puzzle games and are, you know, looking for something that's completely different from anything else that you've played. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's worth taking the time to check out. It's I, I feel bad because I know the developer worked on it for like 10 years or something ridiculous like that. And then I breezed through it in a couple hours and was like, OK, I want part two now, please. Um, <laughs> More stories. <laughs> yeah. But but really, really creative, really fun twist on kind of making making up stories in a puzzle format yeah right on uh kyle i'm trying to figure out your scale of love in your heart of hearts for this game nine years of shadow this is the yeah. the new you could say metroidvania but let's get rid of that metroid this is just a castlevania like yeah it's funny because jeff i'm just talking about storytelling he's like this is you know it's unique it's it's like <laughs> nothing you ever played for and i'm right. like well this actually i like because it really reminds me of symphony of the night right if you like symphony of the night and, you should check it out yeah yeah and i play a lot of these you know like castlevania and metroid inspired games and and, and a, i have bounced off a lot of them in recent years even the last even the igarashi one um, oh right bloodstained yeah, Bloodstained like didn't click for me. It was it got too open too quickly, and I was too lost too fast. Huh. And I think nine years of shadows is uh, condenses it, and like I think it's just really focused on like smart design of like letting you explore the map at a good pace. It doesn't open up too much too quickly. And then I just also like the uh, the designs of the protagonists, and it's got just kind of like you're bringing color back into the world, and right. like you find musicians around the castle that are all like uh, congregating in this music hall and that's where you go for upgrades and stuff like that and uh it's um it's just solid right it's just like they these guys clearly liked symphony of the night and they have their own story and characters and everything but the basic structure i I feel like they've done a really good job with it i i did hit a couple bugs like and it crashed on me a few times on my steam deck and um they even i i think i tweeted that and, and the devs actually like replied to my tweet and they, they have some patches that are already you know lined up and stuff so maybe it's already cleaned up but it, it but if you like symphony of the night and you've kind of been jonesing for one of those of which there are plenty admittedly yeah this is a good one um i would i would put it uh a pretty high on, wow. on my list. Like, uh, i would put it above bloodstained jesus um yeah it does feel like uh, i was also playing it on steam deck a little bit it's like oh this feels like a great follow-up to like if you really love the return to castlevania DLC on uh, with dead cells and you kind of want yeah, more. It's like you know what? Like, I nine liked years it of that a lot, but it, it did make me Jones for something closer to this kind of experience. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe the timing is just particularly good as well. Right, something that's not a rogue game and stuff. Yeah, yeah. but it, it's cool just to have like that opening level that you play through being all black and white. It's like it's not that often yeah. you get a black and white game. And there's some cool like magical girl stuff, you know, like Sailor Moon inspired like all animations right, for <laughs> costumes and stuff like that. <laughs> sure, yeah, that, yeah. That. that are well done. The animations are are really good and, and fun. I like them a lot. Yeah. Also, I was amazed. It just uh, it's on PC and Switch, and on Steam at least, it's on sale at launch. It's like it's sixteen bucks. It's like oh, oh Jesus, cool. that, that seems pretty wild. Also, soundtrack is ridiculously good. Uh, and then like I looked you into it. You gotta have a good soundtrack if you're making a symphony of the night game. <laughs> yeah, I knew they had like bullet points of like, oh, we have such such a composer. We looked into it. Yeah, so it's a a, a composer who's worked on the Castlevania series, uh, Nora Hiko oh, Hibino, cool. who worked on some Metal Gear Solid games like the cinematics from Metal Gear Solid 4 type of stuff. And then Minami Matsume, 
who's a composer uh, who worked on like Mega Man 1 and Mega Man 2. Like she goes way back with a bunch of classics. And so I'd love to All see right. a breakdown of who composed what tracks, but it sounds great. Just a bunch of synth stuff in there. But, uh, nine yeah, Years of stuff. Shadows. I promise you, Kyle, you will forget the name of this game by the time we talk about the two tens. Um, but yeah. but we're all going to try our best to remember that Nine Years of Shadows is a cool castle. Like we alphabetize the list, it's way up. There, <laughs> yeah, you know? it's there like right up on top. Does that get explained? Like, is it like in the beginning? They're like, it's been nine years yes. of shadows. That's literally okay. how it opens up. I yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's damn close. Oh, I mean, it's kind of cool. Like the protagonist has been training for nine years to sort of try to take care of these shadows. I, I like the <laughs> setup. I'm, I'm usually, my eyes, <laughs> these damn shadows. My eyes do kind of uh, glaze over when you get the, the opening, Kyle. the Star Wars scroll. Uh, right, right. But uh, I, I actually thought it was pretty well done. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how, do, do you guys have a sense of how long it is? I haven't been. I have um, no idea. I have, I probably played like four hours and I got like two of the four outfits. Okay. That's not too bad. But I, I imagine it, that I probably played like 30 or 40% as okay. opposed to okay. a straight nobody has submitted yet on how long to beat so hot off the presses everybody also there's a lot of hugging a teddy bear so if you're into that uh, you wouldn't expect that in a Castlevania game but that seems like a big thing why does it give you like powers or something it like recharges your projectile shot you know it's a good game for hugging uh, little little plushies and things because the Bayonetta game has that too where you have like a little hug mode yeah 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 like hug your little cat yeah, I definitely want to talk about that in the future because, yeah, I just played yeah. the demo of that Bayonetta Origins, but I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll Hopefully I'll be there uh, with you by the time we end up talking about it. I'm still only like two hours in, so okay. like, it's not, not a lot to say yet, but uh, sure. yeah, I'm enjoying it too. Right on. Um, let's keep this uh, little indie roundup going here. Uh, Terra Nil came out this yeah. week, uh, which had a demo. I feel like it's been talked about for a long time. Devolver published this thing. The developer is called Free Lives. And they made Bro Force, if you remember that. And uh, they made Genital Jousting, if you remember uh, those gifts. Uh, some oh, would say they're lives, unforgettable. They're, they're free Lives did this too, then, because they they're also doing Angerfoot. That's exactly it, yeah. So they just released this, but then they're also making Angerfoot, which is like that first-person hotline Miami, which looks like one of the most aggressive games ever made. And then they're also making Terra Nil, which is, you want to say City Builder, but Jeff, how would you describe Terra Nil? Uh, I think uh, I've seen it referred to as a reverse city builder, right? Yeah, um, which is pretty accurate, but still, it's a it's the city building genre. Yeah, sim, sim type of thing. Like it it's starts a nature out, builder, I guess. Yeah. But you're like using technology to revive it's like a, nature. It's like a nature reclaimer, right? I guess mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Have you been playing it at all, Janet? No, I just have been following it a lot. I, okay. and, and I've been meaning to get to it. And it was funny because I saw it on the floor and I'm like, oh, I should make time for that. And mm. then like the next day they're like, it's out. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize it was coming out this soon. So <laughs> yeah, I was surprised by it too. Right now. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of has a, uh, I don't know, I want to call it like a power wash simulator kind of satisfaction of just like being in these decrepit, arid environments and then just letting the power of green and mother nature overtake it as you're slowly reclaiming it, like building rivers out and stuff and throwing beehives everywhere and trees. But have you enjoyed it so far, Jeff? I hundred percent of it yesterday. Are you wow. kidding me? Yes, I did enjoy it. Jesus um, Christ. I really want you to say I hated it actually. <laughs> and I hated it. it. <laughs> yes. Down with earth. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's on Netflix. It's on your Netflix oh, account if you have okay. Netflix, um, the mobile version. But it's also on PC. Yeah, don't be scared away by Netflix. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's it's really in, it's an interesting 
kind of unique take on that. And it's because it, because it plays out in addition to, you know, you're doing the opposite of what you do in a city builder. It plays out over each level plays out over different like a couple different stages where first you're just trying to revitalize the land with a couple different um, machines that you have. And it's a, kind of this spatial puzzle of, you know, trying to maximize how you how you like water each square of land and, and whatnot. Um, and then once you once you get past that, you're building up different biomes, which each kind of have their own requirements and you're changing the climate um, with a couple with a couple different machines. And then you are repopulating them with animals. And then after you repo- repopulate with them with animals, you have to clean up all the machines and kind of pull everything out until you're just left with a completely, you know, serene, natural oh, that's landscape. Awesome. Um, and then you do that across like four different, four different levels, which are each um, in a different zone, uh, like temperament zone, essentially. Um, and it's just, it's an interesting, each step is its own interesting puzzle and kind of more spatial than I was expecting from kind of a SimCity game. But it's, it's the last, it's that last step that's, that's really interesting and unique for this kind of game, but also just kind of really satisfying of like, well, it's cleanup time and, and you, you're, you have to make sure that everything that you build is within kind of an area of, of the, of the other type of objects that you use to, to clean them up. And so you're kind of building out these nodes. It's, it's more so than other games in this ilk. It's kind of, it's one that you want to kind of think through all of the different stages as you're, as you're doing them. You're, you're trying to think ahead and being like, okay, I, I have to cover all this land and get out all the machines that I need, but I also want to do it in a smart way that will aid cleanup once you get to that section. And then you're just kind of, even once you have it all figured out, it's like you go node by node, and each time you click on one of the nodes, it sucks up all the machines that are around it, and they all kind of disappear. Awesome. All the animals are happy and everything, and you just kind of go through step by step until it's all cleaned, and then your little aircraft takes off and takes you to the next and so it, it really nails the the cozy vibes as well as being an interesting uh and unique kind of reverse engineered city building type of game yeah i i really enjoy what i played you know i think the the sim genre is always they can be intimidating fast and this is a super approachable version of it it feels you know yeah. almost pop cap-esque in like the simplicity mm-hmm. of what's going on here but i that said, I got stuck because I'm very dumb. But uh, look, I was trying to make more wetlands and I couldn't. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. It's like you need to be in a low-lying right area. There, okay. I, I was, am I missing something, Jeff? Um? There, there are, okay, and this is kind of the trade-off for that, trying to make it approachable so your brain doesn't break if you're like, hey, by the way, you got to worry about changing climates and you got to worry about the you know biomes that you're making for all these animals. They take you step by step. So there are some times when you can get... You'll you'll get to like the fourth step or whatever, and it's like, oh man, I I wish I would have known that, and I would have I would have built out this area different. But you you usually can can kind of re re terraform different places um, and figure out figure out how to undo this stuff. But sometimes it's they they give you the option to just restart the specific phase that you're on. Right. Each each time you have you go through like three or four phases, and sometimes that is just the easiest answer. Um, I don't know what what you were running into specifically with your wildlands problems, but it was a wetlands. Um, it was a Ghost Recon wetlands, wetlands yeah. problem. But yeah, Terra Nil. Uh, that's cool. I mean, 
a cute little thing or something more special than that? I'm still trying to gauge where you're at with this, Jeff. Um, a little more than a cute little thing. Okay. I put storyteller, storyteller in the cute little thing uh, s- section. This is one step up from that. It is... <laughs> They, they give you alternate maps once you get through all the four different levels. I don't know if that's enough to get me to jump back in. Um, and, yeah, you had a good time and, with it. You know, like, yeah. Keep on going. But, you know, I I played it probably like eight hours yesterday. So Jesus Christ, man. That's that works. Awesome. And if, if you have Netflix, <laughs> you can easily check it out. Um, yeah. That's did, did you play it on phone? I, I did. I played the mobile version. The mobile version works great. So, so that's a solid way to worry play. Okay, about. cool. Yeah. Right on. Tara Nell's the name of that thing. Um... Let's see. Kyle, do you want to hear about a good game or a bad game? Good game. Good game? Yeah. Okay. This is this is my favorite type of gaming experience where I, I just was looking on Steam, what was new, and there was a game, and it was called Pineapple on Pizza. And I said, well, this this is a dumb name for a game. What could this possibly be? And I clicked through it thinking like, oh, maybe for the next Cream of the Steam, Serenata can play this. This sounds good. And then I saw that it's sitting at overwhelmingly positive on Steam, I'm looking this up. Yeah, and I was like, "What? Don't look up too much. Be careful with this one." <laughs> so I was like, "What mm, could this oh, I, possibly I think I've seen be?" People sharing this around. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Please. Yeah. Uh, so it's just a first-person game, a very cutesy-looking, ambiguous Polynesian society with people on an island, all singing and dancing. And so it's it's a game that you can finish in under like ten minutes, and also it's free. And I think it's just on Steam now, but it's called Pineapple on Pizza, which uh, guaranteed is a, is a weird name. It's intriguing enough to, to get me to click through to play this thing. And so you're just walking around exploring this island and everyone's singing and dancing and like moving to the music, you know, very much like New Super Mario Brothers, bah, bah, that type of thing where everyone's just dancing. There's a crowd doing the Macarena and stuff. Um, without saying too much, I don't want to overhype it or anything, but uh, I was absolutely delighted uh, with the direction that this thing went. And it's a short little experience. Just explore for a while on that island. Um, And if you're into, I don't know, quirky, weird comedy games, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, it's just, it's a cool thing. So, pineapple on pizza, everybody. It's short. It's free on Steam. Apparently, it's 10 minutes. So, right, yeah. It sounds like just enough time for me to be willing to play it. And you could... You could get to the quote-unquote ending in like two minutes, one minute probably if you if you if you did it what right. That, what was that game? Kids? Do you remember? What yeah, that yeah. Is it kind of like that zone of like? Uh, no. Th- this or, is more. Or should you just not say more and I should just check it out? No, it's I don't know. It's more of the remember like the Looker from was it last year or two years ago? That's kind of like a witness parody. Yeah. Imagine like that, but just like one. 30th of the scope like kind of that type of just weird quirky thing it's so like um you know it's funny you, you saying like don't look this up and i'm like no i'm already looking it up Duh, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. And even in the about they say um like where do they write it they say like stop stop reading and just like just play it go and play yeah we encourage you to stop reading and just play it surprise does enhance the flavor yes which, I want to hear every developer say that on stage <laughs> when they're talking about their games. You know, surprise does enhance. That was, I think, Anuma's exact quote. Uh, yeah. I think for that. That's how they got out of the Breath of the Wild. Mario Odyssey. Not Breath of the Wild. What is it? Tears of the Kingdom. I'm going to mess it up. They actually, the no, they, they boldly called it the original name was The Legend of Zelda, not Breath of the Wild, was the working <laughs> title for Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, okay, bad game, real quick. Uh, look, no game's bad. Wait, they're wait, all wait, wait, hold on. Yo, yeah. So it was a fake 
it was like a fake decision that you had Kyle make. This is like the Pokemon of decisions. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, how do you feel? <laughs> Look, Good, bad? Well, it doesn't matter because you're gonna go this thing anyway. So Jen, I would Pokemon love, I would love not to this. be the Pokemon decisions of gaming podcast. But what are we gonna do? Not talk about Crime Boss Rock A City, <laughs> Janet? We have to talk about Crime Boss Rock A City. Uh, if you don't remember this game, this is the game that oh uh, very much was like a payday inspired first person shooter. But the whole hook was like, you won't believe all these 90s stars that we got to be in this game. And so the first trailer almost made it look like, is this them doing like a Vice City? But it's like, no, it's not an open world game. It is just a first person shooter, very payday inspired, um, except it's set in the 90s and Michael Madsen is playing our main character. And so it's a young looking Michael Madsen, but with like the old nearly destroyed Michael Madsen voice, which is just (laughs) jarring as hell. And, And Kyle... This has yeah. to be like intentional, right? Because it's set in the 90s, very 90s inspired, all this stuff. His character in the game, his name is Travis Baker. Do you think like with Travis Barker from Blink-182, your favorite uh, person on earth, do you think they're trying to like inspire a little 90s but not get legally you dead know, on? I did, I because I, I think I wrote a little preview for the magazine and I think I wrote I wrote Travis Barker. <laughs> right. I had to like change it. You gotta change so, it. I never connected those '90s dots. I think of Blink One Eighty Two as a 2000s band. Myself. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know what? You're probably right. Um, but uh, it, yeah, I I I haven't played this, but I was I was editing Game Informer's review this morning, and it was a lot. It's uh, I the, our reviewer Wes Wes uh, LeBlanc yeah. like a couple days ago was basically just having an existential crisis. About yep. Having to review this game. I felt yeah. bad for him. He gave it a three. That's what I'll tell him. Wow. Well, that's that's How actually. Long is it? <laughs> you it's know, a roguelike. So. Yeah, that is the weird thing is they Twilight pitch it game. as it's a unique roguelike experience for playing the quote unquote campaign. So you play as like wait. I thought you guys were joking. Are you serious? Well, it's, it's a roguelike. It's, it's actually not really. You reference uh, Payday, but it's not really like a multiplayer game. Well, it is. There's the co-op mission. There's a multiplayer modes, but I think right. primarily you're playing the roguelike single player stuff. I, again, I haven't played it, so have right. you played it then? Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay I'm not just yeah, talking okay. about the trailers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think the core of it. I think they probably want to push you to the to the co-op stuff gotcha. because the campaign. Yeah, at a certain point, they try and pitch it as a unique roguelike experience. I was like, I. I don't know if you can call this regular. Like every time you die, I guess you level up and you can unlock like a ability. It's like, oh, plus 5% health for the next run or something. But it just seems like a way to kind of gloss up a kind of confusing and abridged campaign in some ways. But it, you're trying to take back Rocky City and uh, Ice-T is there and he's running drugs in the city and you got to take him down. And when you get a game over, it just cuts to Ice-T DJing a party and celebrating your death. But the big thing is they got all these 90 stars. Hey, Chuck Norris is the sheriff in this town with some of the most abysmal acting I've ever heard in a video game. It is so rough. And like Danny Glaver's in there and Michael Rooker. You know. But then like the weird thing is, you know, Kim Basinger's in there. Um, and there's so many scenes where they're just like, their hook is just, hey, we're young again. So everyone's always just like complimenting each other on how they look. You know, like it's like Michael Manson <laughs> getting into the game. And he's like, uh, don't I look handsome? And then Kim Basinger is always like literally in like a skin tight dress, just like shoving her butt all around the room. And she's like, ooh, aren't I looking great? It's like, I'm sure the actors are into the idea of having like this. 30 year old version of themselves be revived, but it's just weird when all the characters keep talking about how hot everybody is. It's like, all right, yeah, sure. We like the 90s, I guess. 
Um, so yeah, run, don't walk. Everybody please uh, play Crime Boss Rocket City. And honestly, when I saw those reviews, Kyle, when I saw the reviews were so bad, then I was like, all right, I got to I have to check I it out. I have to see it. The same way. Yeah, dude, you should. Like, I got to at least check this thing you out. You should boot it up. You should boot it up. It's a it's a hoot. Um. All right, uh, Jeffum, my dear Jeffum. Uh, do you know how this whole thing operates? Crime. Mainly crime. It does pay. That's right. Spoiler. The crime of giving people a good time over there on Patreon. Patreon.com slash minmax with two N's, everybody. Find the tier that's right for you. We are literally 43 supporters away from hitting our goal on Patreon and making a documentary about all of our pets. Yay. Uh, that's the beauty of independent games media is for most media places, 43 people can't make a single difference but for an outlet like us 43 people makes all the difference in the world so jump in there at even the two dollar tier five dollar tier whatever you want unlock the podcast version of the deepest dives we would appreciate that type of support help us hit our goal before the end of the month we are almost right there and thank you to some of our biggest supporters you know their names well maybe you don't because they're new but sunday everybody a yard care company hey jeff um have you noticed that the snow's starting to melt here in minnesota Absolutely. And I, I at least have genuinely had that fear of seeing the snow start to melt in my yard. Like one half of my backyard is free of snow. And then I look at the yard and I remember, oh, that's right. I never take good care of my yard, but I probably should. Because the rare instances where I do get it looking good, it's nice. It's nice to have a good looking yard that's all green that you can roll around in just to wake up in the morning and feel alive, you know? Uh, sure. Just like dig a hole out there and just go sit in it. Just good yard stuff, yeah. you know? I love sitting in yard holes. How's your yard looking, man? Uh, not great. You need some help. You need Sunday to help you. Sunday is everything you need to get the lawn that you've always dreamed of. This spring, go to GetSunday.com slash MinMax and enter your address to get a customized plan created just for your lawn. It's, it's a cool idea. It's like, put your address in, it'll dial it in like, okay, based on weather, blah, 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 all these other things, we can give you exactly what you need for your yard. There are no trips to the store or hauling uh, heavy bags since they ship straight to your home. You just need a hose to apply Sunday. You can fertilize your whole lawn in less time than it takes to watch an episode of your favorite damn TV show. Sunday's easy and affordable. Some lawn care services, Janet, some of these hacks out there, they charge you $1,500 a year for a nice lawn. And to that, we say, dig a hole in the backyard and put them in it because Sunday's full wow. season plan Jeez. Sunday's full season plan starts at Good just start. 109 109 dollars uh, Sunday is offering a listener a little uh, little treat for our listeners 20% off as well full season plans 109 dollars you can get 20% off when you visit getsunday.com slash minmax at the checkout that's 20% off your custom plan at getsunday.com slash minmax there's a link below in the description for everything you need here thank you as well to our dear friends at I am 8-Bit. They want you to know about Cozy Grove, the Nintendo Switch Exclusive Edition Physical, also the PlayStation 5 Exclusive Edition from I am 8-Bit. They truly make wonderful Exclusive Editions. Check them out. It includes a blind bag containing a collectible enamel pin inspired by Cozy Grove's ghostly denizens. They say leave it to chance or collect all 28 adorable bears for Cozy Grove with this Exclusive Edition thanks to I am 8-Bit. 
There's a ton of fun stuff in there, so please check it out. And you can check out everything in their wonderful online store, iam8bit.com. Go there, find a wonderful gaming treat just for you. There's so much cool stuff packed in there. And you can use the promo code SHAMROCKSHAKE. SHAMROCKSHAKE, no space for 10% off everything under $100. Help support iam8bit because they support us in a big way by shipping out a prize each and every week to a MinMax Patreon supporter, whoever submits the best question over on Patreon, determined by us, the impartial jury. That person wins a prize thanks to iM8Bit, and this week, that person wins the Sea of Thieves vinyl soundtrack. Three album vinyl soundtrack. So, look alive, everybody. Thank you to iM8Bit for shipping out the Sea of, Threes, sea of Thieves three album vinyl soundtrack to whoever has the best question here for question of the week and there are links below for all these promo codes and everything if you want to check it out and help support them or help support sunday for lawn care all right ready for these questions these are hot do it ready uh kyle do you think a thousand people have made the joke about star wars where they say hoth they should call it colth no. Do you think no, that's like Star I, Wars? No, sorry, I'm not Kyle. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. But my, my answer no. is the same. It's yeah. the same. No. But you think that joke doesn't exist on Twitter right now? If I search the word Colt? Oh, yeah, it probably does. Okay. You know, right. Because Hanson tweeted it earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. From his alt account, his burner. Here we go. Death Star PR, a parody Twitter account in 2014, says, what idiot decided to call it Hoth instead of Colt? So, yeah, they're, they're right there. Here we go. Here we go. Hey, Ron Mar the Only says, hello, everyone. Initial pledger on Patreon. This is my first question. Congratulations, Ron Mar. Thank you for supporting nice. us on Patreon. Yeah. Support us at any tier. You can submit a question every week. Make the show better. Ron Mar says, with E3 falling apart before our very eyes, but not for the first time, will there be any changes to the Trek to LA itinerary? Okay, there's there's a lot of angles here. Um, let's let's unpack. Let's not forget about the Trek to LA. Let's talk about it. But um, the news about E3 this year is getting worse and worse and worse. First, it was like, well, Sony's not going to be there. Nintendo's not going to be there. Microsoft's not going to be there. Um, Ubisoft confirmed this week they're not going to be there. And Ubisoft is down for anything. Uh, I could, you know, they released a bunch of Google Stadia games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could put googly eyes on a tin can and Ubisoft would be there to support my creative efforts. Wow. So the idea that they are not going to be at the show is is damning. And then IGN's reporting that Sega and Tencent are also out. You know, at GDC, I definitely heard murmurings of it being pretty catastrophic for E3. I mean, there's also the PR company, or not PR company, but I guess convention company uh, that's arranging this. Read Pop, their president uh, is stepping down in April. Where it's like, that seems like an odd time for tackling E3. And it's, you know, can't read into people leaving too much. But for their first big stab at E3 to have the president stepping down right before the show, it's a it's a rough spot to be. Uh, it seems like Konami might still be going. Other than that, it seems like everyone else is up in the air about whether or not this show is even going to exist. Does anybody have hot thoughts just on the state of E3 this year? I, mean, I don't think they can get their deposit back, right? Like from the convention center. <laughs> so I imagine, oh, I feel like in that sense, it might happen. And I think it'll probably be like, I think it's shaping up to be one of the worst things to happen in the in recent history in the industry in terms of events. Um, but I'm, I'm going to be there regardless as long as it's there. Like, I already got the time carved out. Like, yep. okay. why not? Let's go down with the ship. Yeah. That's you know? Who cares? Yep. Was it, I think it was maybe Jeff Gertzman made a point that it was like, 
is it better for them to have no E3 than a bad E3 after this mm. return? Because if it's like an empty show floor with just Konami, is that worse that than it just not happening? <sighs> I I think it's an, to me. It, it, I don't know. I don't think it's happening, man. I I, I feel like it's. I feel like we're going to get an announcement in a couple days that it's like we're uh, delaying a year or something. You know, I, I don't know. I, people will be there. You know, it's like I saw some takes of like, oh, if it's just for indie games now, maybe it won't be the worst thing. But it's like, you know, if just Embracer shows up and then a handful of weird accessory makers, like I, I'm definitely <laughs> there. I, mean, I guess if Embracer shows up, right. that's a surprisingly like massive amount of games actually right right, right. or even just like the yeah. subset like gearbox has always been a big e3 defender even in their off years having their own conference so like if gearbox is there that's something they'll show a borderlands trailer and that'll just be replaying on the show floor <laughs> over and over again like the movie you're talking about. oh yeah 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 exactly <laughs> um yeah i don't know i'm definitely always in the camp of you know being the dog in the room on fire saying everything is fine but I, I don't know. Like someone will be there showing games, and so it still seems like a fun, silly thing to go to, right? So what happens if an official cancellation announcement <laughs> comes through in the next like twelve hours, and then this episode goes live? <laughs> That'll I mean, be and, really damning. And, and also, also Hanson, I don't know if you know the ESA and everybody in charge of running E3 have the same attitude of like, as long as somebody shows up, <laughs> it'll be fun, right? Like, I, there's probably more business decisions going yeah. into it than that. And and I think to Kyle's point, yeah, the idea of canceling it is bad, but if you hold it and it's a complete disaster, you're never going to get the big guys to come back. And how many, how many of the smaller guys who go are going to be like, well, that sucked and we paid a lot of money to be there. Let's never do this again. I, I, I feel like they're damned kind of either way because, you know, yeah. If even if they were to cancel it, which I'm not saying that it'd be wrong of them to cancel it, because if it's starting to fall apart, you know, my only rationale on why they wouldn't cancel it is just because they're in too deep, maybe on like certain contracts where it's like, well, this thing is going to go and it is what it is. But I don't think they're going to show or do anything that's going to make people come back because it's kind of like a not self-fulfilling prophecy because it's not the right phrase. But at this point. It's like a chicken egg thing. It's like, well, we left because you suck. Or, but also, since you left, everyone else doesn't want to be here. Like, people only want to. It's only the place to be because it's the place to be, you know. Yeah, and if it's right. not, and it that sounds so vague and kind of, you know, odd. But that's the truth. Like, it's not that E three E three is E three because it has the big people there showing their stuff, booking the meetings, having the showcases. E yeah. three could be anything. And now it's just kind of like falling apart. And the idea is like, you know, will there be something in its wake or will we have the one million mid showcases? No offense, people put on showcases, but a lot of the, you know, I get tired of tabbing over to eight different long drawn, you know, again, it's just a mess. But that's kind of that's the thing with E3. Like, I don't I think if they canceled it, I don't think they're going to I don't know what they'd have to show publishers behind the scenes that would change their mind. I don't think, I don't know if there is anything yeah. that could I change think, their mind. I think what point. would that, change minds is like if they are opening this thing up to the public and the public wants to go for the just glory of going to E3, especially people are pent up, like I think people would be eager to go and if they get big numbers of the public going, then that might be enough to be like, hey publishers, I know you didn't show up last year, but 2024, look at all these people that were eager to play anything new. Please let them in. I mean, in. they have it open but, to but the public they had, though. Yeah, They've had those years and numbers and 
and everybody still keeps on leaving. This is this is why it has been a slow moving train wreck for the past couple of years, and everybody has been saying like, it's a te- it's terrible that Sony pulled out the first year they pulled out, or that Microsoft decided to you know kind of just go kitty corner down in L.A. and do it. Like you need to get those guys back under your banner because if yeah. you lose them. Yeah, it's no longer the place to be, like Janet said, and and it's kind of been that way for years. And it's you know now we're just it's it's just the dominoes at this point. Yeah. So the core of your question, Runmar, are we still doing the trek to L.A.? Uh, yes. So we had a Patreon goal which we hit, uh, where we're sending Leo and Janet and Sarah to Super Nintendo World, and we're piggybacking that to E3. But we were sending. Sarah and Leo to E3 regardless, but we're definitely in that phase of like, we, we, we're ready to book hotels and book flights. And now we're in a wait and see, like if the, if people that, you know, Jason Schreier in particular was talking to at at GDC, they, the publishers don't know if they're going to go to E3 yet. Like, are we expected to book a flight when publishers don't even know if they're going to go yet? So I, I'm in the camp of like, I think it'd be kind of fun to go and, not be naive about it, but like there's even if it's just a, a booth with Konami and they're showing off the rumored remake of Metal Gear Solid 3 and then like three indie games on the side of that one convention hall, that sounds pretty cool. Like it'd be fun to like make a ton of coverage celebrating just the yeah. surreal nightmare of E3 2023. So there's a way to cover yeah. it. I think that would still be fun regardless of it being a disaster compared to, I don't know, I just, I'm always allergic because I feel like the last 10 years has been listening to so much E3 coverage and every discussion is just like, eh, it's not that good. It's not what it used to be. Not what it used to be E3. And like, you know, every time I win, I was like, this is the best. What are you, what are you I will morons say, I, talking I about? There's a lo- I mean, in general, I think our industry could benefit from being a little bit less aggressively bitter uh, yes, and angry yes. all the time, every day about something else. It's like, it's okay. All right. You know, and, and some stuff is obviously warranted. There's big problems in the industry for sure. But yeah, I've been hearing E3 sucks for forever. Yes. But the difference is, I will say, after PlayStation left, it did start to genuinely, like, visibly skew in a way that I feel like is finally warranting the conversation that people have been having yes. for, like, 10 years too early, in my opinion. 100%. Yeah, like, again, and I get, like, that, you know, things aren't perfect and stuff, but at the end of the day, like, why E3 was so impactful is that it got everything under that one banner, under that one time frame, and whether mm-hmm. or not you were someone creating content, or before I went, I went in 2019, that was the only time I went, like as someone that watched stuff, there was so much content to watch, so much coverage, like the the big three, like showing off their presentation, everyone tuning in, people freaking podcasting off of like their phones or like just right. piecing together stuff, doing 12, like there is an energy to that that you don't see at anything else. And mm. that's just, that's just fact. You and know? that's, I mean, that's, that's E3 2019. Whack, like, but, yeah, that's know. E3 2019. That's the one that everyone says, oh, it's absolutely worse. It's a dead, dead show. It's like, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. It's not as good as it used to be, but like, there's still so much going on there that if it's, if it's 40% of the show that E3 2019 was, if it's 20% of that show, I feel like that's still a pretty fun thing to happen. But it's I understand that. It's time to just that, go fund me Keeley's empire. And right. just like, it's, you know, and that's the tough thing too, where it's like, I feel like the, the transition isn't, quite as natural as you'd hoped maybe it would be in terms of like i do think you know key three is picking up steam but (laughs) e3 was so huge with having like the big three there like 
at this point, it's a wonder. It's a question of whether or not anything, any event could get them all together yeah. again, because so many people yeah. are moving towards that solo model. And not that it's necessarily a bad thing to do that, but I think once that starts to trickle down, it does become this weird, like, and now instead, you know how some of y'all were tired because you had to cover one big event? What if you have to cover 80 and like right. almost none of them were even worth your time? And we're just, you know, scraping like the bottom of the barrel for like, well, this piece was an interesting snippet from this. You know, let me jump in the CMS for this thing. Oh, there's another thing going on here. Like that, I, I kind of hate that it's structured that way now. Yep. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, we move with how things change and there's still gonna be fun, exciting coverage coming out about games but yeah it is a shame that e3 seems like it is on its last leg and that this might be a really really bad event yeah but i mean isn't are we are we sort of talking around i mean maybe we're not talking around it but i mean is summer game fest just gonna take the baton i mean it seems like keely's pushing for it that's what's gonna happen it's like in the future we will be talking about summer game fest in the same way we talk about e3 that we did in the past is that what's just gonna happen at some point it is certainly what Keeley would like. Um, yeah. I mean, I he, think to a degree, yeah. but I don't know if he'd have like officially. And it's kind of weird too. Summer Games Fest is like there'll be stuff happening that's like not Summer Games Fest, but he's like it's on the Summer Games Fest calendar though. Again, that calendar, right. Ben, the power of the calendar. You're so, right. Yeah. You're right. You can put I'm, anything on that calendar. I'm not sure like how smoothly the in an ideal world, I think even if E3 is an E3, like someone else just puts their name on it and that's basically E3. I don't know if we're ever really going to see the big three cohesively under a single banner no. again, just mm-hmm. by way of yeah. how people want to conduct things, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you know. J- what Keeley had uh, representatives from the big three on the stage, right, for the Game Awards a couple yes. of years back. And, like, if he could pull it off like that for Summer Game Fest, again, just as yeah. a slight be like, the, the torch has officially been passed from the ESA and E3 and to then, now Summer Game Fest. But it's just Fest. that thing. It's like, what does Nintendo gain by not mm-hmm. not just having a direct? Yeah, exactly. Time? Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. Know. we're already like in that maybe. zone. We're already in that zone where everyone's doing their own thing and streaming yeah. their own thing. It's, it's just the physical location will be less exciting for the people going there. It's like, ah, yeah, I get it. I get it. It's not as exciting as an event as it used to be, but there's still going to be a ton of announcements in the summer that'll be fun. Uh, Drake Heinhorst. So, yeah, basically, we're still sending Leo and Sarah out for Super Nintendo World and presumably for some gaming-related stuff, but the specifics of that and how many days... You know what? Sarah, Leo, we got games in my apartment. It's all good. We got games at home, you know? We'll have our own E3. Um, Isaiah's going to make the hot wings. Yep. That sounds great. That's already a dub. On that alone, we'll go to some retro games. I don't, we'll figure something out, you know? Yep. Yeah, I, I they'll, mean, they'll the, be here. Okay, perfect. Thank the you. The last one of these goals was around just getting Janet to come out in Minnesota. There weren't any shows coming on, going on out here. <laughs> Ain't no shows made, out you here. You guys made a ton of content around Shrek for crying out loud. You're right. You're right. Sending them out to California, I it's going to be great a, no matter what. I did find a West Coast Juicy Lucy, so we could try that out. Ooh, that's there good go. content. That's good content. Uh, Drake Heinhorst writes in and says, Hey, Min Max, after enjoying the HBO show, uh, my wife was, has decided to play The Last of Us Part 1 as her first video game, and then eventually The Last of Us Part 2. With the help of some accessibility options, she's doing great. It's about halfway through the first game, but I find it interesting the knowledge that I take for granted after a lifetime of playing games. For example, she has issues navigating the environment and telling what can or can't be climbed. And when she asks, how do I know, I can't really determine 
an answer other than I can just tell by looking at it. <laughs> what? That white paint on it. Yeah, what it's are, yellow. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking, I'm like, this is where Horizon. Let me tell you about Horizon for Midwest, okay? I got you. What's this I got game? You. Uh, uh, they say, what Break are some. It. By the way, I, that was not meant to be like a dismissive joke. I think that makes total sense that if you yes. have yes. not been trained, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, your whole life to, to recognize that. I, I do see it being confusing. What are some gamer senses you've developed from playing so many games? I do like that. Just the unspoken logic of like, you know, an easy one I was thinking of is like, you know, playing games with like my nephews or other people that don't play too many games and then like just which doors can and can't be entered. It's like, what do you mean? There's a door over here. It's like, no, I, I know that's not a building you can go in. I just, I'm 100% confident and this one clearly is. It's like, I guess there's just the art detail level or something, you know? I mean, so many things. I think I think just having a sense of unified control schemes is a big one. Um, and I even, as a lifelong gamer, but I started out with much more um, limited genre-wise. So I mainly played platformers and sports games and things. The first time I played a game where the run was on L3, mm. I'm like, I didn't know that I could click the stick to run. And it took me also a while to get used to clicking the stick to run. So I think unified controls is a big one. I think um, knowing... I think just learning the fact that one thing I go back to even as like a longtime player is the unless you like mess up your game, which can happen, the developer wouldn't make a scenario where I wouldn't be able to get myself out of a situation. Again, there's bugs and stuff or sometimes maybe oversights, but I'm like, there's got to be a way to do this. Or also just like the logic of placement. I even thought of this for like when I was playing Botany Manor, you know, at PAX. I'm like, well, I was stuck on a puzzle and I'm like. And, you know, I was working through it with Isaiah and he's like, oh, maybe it's like back in the courtyard somewhere we missed something. And I'm like, you know, I'll go check. But I don't think that. And he's been playing games for a long time, too. But, you know, I'm like, I don't think they'd put it so far away. Like, right. It just seems, right. I think things mm-hmm. like that go a really long way um, towards like getting the set, get, being able to quickly get a sense of environment, I think. Yep. Uh, watch my wife play all these games. She'll every now and then she'll get lost she'll get lost somewhere and, and I'll like point out where it is. And and one time she asked me th- this very like scenario of like, how do you know that's where you're supposed to go? And it's like, there's a, there's a, it's lighter over there. Just like, <laughs> right. go wherever the lights are. Yeah. They're, that's, they're, they're literally trying to shine you where you go, but that's, <laughs> but when, when environments are so realistic nowadays, like sometimes that kind of thing doesn't click in your mind and you're not thinking like, Oh yeah, literally, it's a spotlight pointing where I where I should be going. Right, right. Yeah, I think like a a small one is like waterfalls, and you just you know the flavor of the game. Be like, there's a secret behind this waterfall in this type of game. Versus this is just a waterfall. Yeah. Of course, there's not going to be a secret back yeah. there, but you just get a feel for it. You know, a weird a specific memory. A friend of the show, Brian Vore. <gasps> I remember him talking about like Zelda style puzzles once, and he said like if it's if it's too hard. If whatever the solution you think you're doing, if it's like that's really difficult to pull off, you got to do this crazy backflip at this specific angle. It's like then you're not solving it right. Right. And I think about that all the time where I'm like, yeah, there's no way it's that complicated. And it re- and it's never is. You know, you just got to take a step back and sort of simplify it in your head, which, yeah. which can be tough sometimes. Uh, I think too, learning the language of a franchise as well. Like yep, uh, yeah, in yep. the more modern era, Resident Evil Seven was my first ever time playing a Resident Evil game, and I played with my friend who is a big fan of the series. And we were like, you know, passing the controller back and forth. And for one thing, she was solving a puzzle, took an item, started rotating. It was a weird shaped item. 
like just a weird like block of wood and she's like okay and then she starts rotating it and i'm like how do you know to do this she's like it's resident evil like, <laughs> right you right see a weird like shape it's like this is probably gonna cast a shadow and the shadow will open up a door and then you hit the piano key or some you know nonsense, <laughs> yeah, that's gaming, but... yeah. <laughs> something patently stupid <laughs> yeah, yeah. like it's it's the it's the classic who designs a house like this right like mm. but it, if you haven't played those games yet that might not go as smoothly for you or, or even like in the modern era like reloading a gun like it still takes me a while to learn how to reload my guns because i don't play a lot of games that have guns in them but yeah, you know no. you, you live and learn uh tom record writes in says hey folks i recently pre-ordered dredge based on the podcast from last week about it with jill and it got me thinking what do you think your first indie game you ever played was and you think it changed how you view video games I used to strictly play AAA games, but when Stardew Valley first came out, I gave it a shot, and now it's one of my favorite games of all time. Well, this is the fun conundrum of defining an indie game, I suppose, yeah. right? Yeah, Super I mean, Boy. there's like Super there's always Boy. the Flash games you go back to, but in terms of like the one that I always think of, like playing on a like a proper video game console that I felt was indie was like the Xbox Live Arcade, yep. and it was Braid specifically, where I was like, this yeah. is feels like something different and unique and the fact that it's not as long or you know 3d models all that stuff doesn't matter because the core idea here is so interesting and fascinating so that's kind of the first standout one for me even though it's not the first by any means. right i mean there's old pc stuff i mean you can make a case Absolutely, for the yeah. oregon trail being indie i mean a thousand games right that, that would technically probably fit this but yeah i think of like that one-up show era like you know i used to love one-ups coverage so much and like them fawning over like the pixel junk games on ps3 and stuff like that was kind of mm. early downloadable ps3 games were a sweet spot on the console side but then pc side it was like run man race around the world was a big one if you remember run man uh darwinia uh for this kind of era the late 2000s at world of goo was uh, one of my favorites mm. i freaking love world right of goo. yeah on the on Wii? So they they launched it on Wii, yeah, yeah. It was also yeah. on PC, but yeah, the, the Wii version was was huge for them and stuff. So it's. I remember it's, talking to, it was uh, Dan Paladin at like a PAX many years ago, who made he who made the argument which that that Alien Hominid on like PS2 was like maybe the first like proper indie console game because they didn't have a traditional publisher, but they put Alien Hominid on a disc on huh. game on PS2. And uh, I mean, there there might be something there. I'm not sure though. You know, it's Behemoth. Is that that? Studio? Yeah, the Behemoth. Okay. Yeah. yeah, like that was pre Castle Crashers. Right. You know, Alien Hominid was on Xbox Live Arcade, but it was also a disc game on PS2. And That's PS2. interesting, huh? Uh, Victor Fam writes in and says, "Hey, do games take too long to make now? What can be done to scale back development time?" Great question. I, I am always confounded by this because you know, even at GDC when they're showing off the new Unreal tech and basically click here the game makes itself you can't go wrong blah, blah, blah. and then somehow the tools get better and every game takes longer to make that's the part that <laughs> boggles my mind like I, I specifically think of like um thimbleweed park uh the kind of th- ron gilbert's kind of throwback adventure game where it's like it wasn't a wild development time maybe like three years or something like that but it's like when they were cranking out those old lucas arts adventure games in like eight months like with the tools they have now why is this one taking three years for a game that still looks like that, you know? And mm-hmm. I guess the answer is just they're not 20 years old sleeping in the office uh, working on this game all day. Like, I mean, I think yeah, we I still mean, see some games come out really quickly. I mean, I still don't know how Insomniac's putting out so many games. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it's they're mind-boggling. I mean, they're, the name of the studio is Insomniac, but they do say right. that they don't have crunch. Um, so sure, I mean, the core, that's the what core they, that the is question, the official statement. Official like, statement. I guess well, it was. Are they taking too long? As opposed to why do they take? It's are they taking too long? I would say no. Like stuff takes yeah. a long time. I mean, yeah. I make stuff way yeah. worse than a lot of the games I play. That takes me way longer to make. <laughs> so how are they even coming out? Is my question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my my maybe it's just getting older, but it's like my thought with video games that I'm excited about. Like, take your time. I you delay Tears of the Kingdom another two years. Like, I don't right. care. <laughs> like, you know, it'll be good when it comes out, and I would rather you guys make it at a healthy pace. You know. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's it's weird to be like I want more broken games, but there are definitely cases of like I don't I don't need this level of polish from all the AAA games. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I'll take a janky Naughty Dog game every once in a while if it means they release twice the amount of games in some of these creators' lifetimes. Like that seems fair to me, but I understand that's sacrilegious yeah, I, to everybody. I I wonder if part of this entire conversation too is just how earlier and how more often we get media on games and like. When when games are announced and how long, if you're sitting there looking at a feed, wondering like, hey, when's the latest? When's the next update on whatever game? Versus, we would hear about games once a month in a magazine. You know, when we were kids. Yeah. Um, that probably shifts how long some of the development times feel. To. It feels yeah, but I mean, there's just so many examples. I mean. The GTA on PS2 games, right? The fact that they made Vice City in a year. Like so many of those games that just by the calendar are mind-boggling. You know, we just had an interview with Josh Sawyer um, and he was talking about Fallout New Vegas and they made it in like, yeah, under 18 months. It's just like, how the hell are these teams doing? I mean, Final Fantasy VI was made in like 10 months or something. It's like, what is going on? Uh, We're in a healthier spot. Uh, It's confusing. Um, Muffin Crumbs writes in on a related topic and says, Hey crew, uh, Ben, in your interview with Tim Schafer, uh, you said that you couldn't see how any documentary in the future could ever be as transparent or honest as Double Fine Psych Odyssey. Why do you think this is? I understand it's a big cost to hire a full-time documentary crew to film all the time in the studio, but I feel like we're bound to get more studios who are inspired by Double Fine and go for the same kind of thing. It reminds me of everyone in 2020 saying movie theaters are dead and that we'll never get another blockbuster movie in the theaters, and then boom, Top Gun Maverick. And then people said that was it. That was the last big one. And then boom, Avatar The Way of Water. I hear you. I also think that Double Fine Psych Odyssey should be the next Avatar The Way of Water, Muffin Crumbs. I think you have a good point. Um, I, I stand by that. I don't think we'll ever see yeah. a video game documentary be as thorough as this. Even two-player. I know they just launched it, so it's not fair. But, you know, in, in our interview, they also stressed the idea of, like, we want to do smaller things for a while. <laughs> like, this was, this was almost a decade of our lives. And you just think about them being in that studio filming every day for seven years. I don't think anybody will ever do that again. It is such a bananas thing to do. And well, and it's also like other developers or publishers might see that, see that series and say, yeah, we want that kind of exposure. Yep. But they're not thinking, yeah, we want to be that brutally honest. Right. And, and show all the flaws to our community. And even if they are, and I'll, keep this ambiguous but like I was talking to one developer who like really loved Dolphin Psych Odyssey and they're starting development on a new game and they're like yeah I love the documentary approach I love it so much we're going to try and record as much stuff as we can around the studio to make a documentary about it it's like that's noble that's awesome so I think it is inspiring people in the game industry to do that which is awesome but like filming a couple meetings on your iPhone or filming some Zoom calls is such a night and day difference compared to having 
the wildly seasoned, talented team of two-player productions filming with multiple cameras and 18 mics every day. You know, it's it's bananas. Are they still embedded in Double Fine, or are they yeah. are they more freelance now? No, nope. like, yeah, they're they're full Double Fine employees. Yeah, two-player right. productions technically doesn't even exist anymore. They said in the well, interview. I, I knew that. I just didn't know if they were at today. You know, yeah. or if anything had changed. Right? No, nope. okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, Kyle, don't you have something you'd like to admit to the classroom? <laughs> okay, so yeah, I, 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 I started Double Fine, Psych Odyssey. Yeah. I watched the first two or I think three episodes. Okay. And then I had the, they were talking about the story of Psychonauts 2, and I was like, well, I never beat Psychonauts 2, so I need to go and finish Psychonauts 2. And I was two levels away from the end, so uh, I, me and my daughter took the time to like sit down and finally beat it. Wow! And now I have to get back to the documentary. So I hope you're congratulations. happy. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I don't know if that really made me that happy. I thought it was going to be better. Because um, I remember, yeah, because the wow. whole point was you wanted really to, <laughs> just like two-player productions. This is what you wanted, isn't it? I did this for you. I don't care about the game. Why don't you finish you're the documentary? Approval, Kyle. Just stop, you know, just live your own life. No, that's fine. Uh, but I remember you wanted to play through it with your daughter. Like, did she enjoy going back to the game? Yeah, it was confusing for both of us, which was fun. <laughs> right, like, right. What's going on here? What's happening here? But then we also didn't want to Google too much because we didn't want to get the ending yet. The reason we're playing the game was to right. not you know, be spoiled. Um, but um, no, it was a fun experience overall, me playing with her. That, that was cool. It, like she, she played like probably like 70% of it, and then I played like oh, wow. 30% of it, something like that. Yeah. That's sweet. Um, please go back and finish that documentary. Kind yeah, of. I want to watch more of it. I, I, I it, this will blow your mind, Hanson, but I, I I quite enjoyed what I watched so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no s. Like as somebody who also is in love with Tim Schafer's sense of humor, it's like it's just, yeah. man, it's just twenty two hours of good Tim Schafer jokes. I swear that's all the documentary is. It's a good time rom for everybody. It's yeah. a. I, I know I talk about it too much, but it's still like the documentary still like define the entire GDC trip. Like so many people, I say so like there were thousands. There were probably like five people that came up to me. And we're like, hey, your Double Fine Psych Odyssey coverage was great. And it's like, such a weird thing to have people recognize me for being a fan of somebody else's hard work. But sure, hey, we'll take it. Fan. I mean, isn't uh, that what games media is? You know what? That is exactly what games media <laughs> is. Uh, and we're proud of it, damn it. Um, but still, like, it, it kept coming up again and again and again. You know, like, different developers were referencing, oh, Double Fine Psych Odyssey, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, it felt like it's it's now seeping in a little bit more and making more of a splash in the industry, which is fun. And still, everyone is intimidated. be like, well, ugh. It's so long. There's so many episodes. Like, ah, just watch it like a TV show. You probably watch a TV show episode every day, and it's probably some trash. Like, why not watch something that wow. is... I, I, pff, yeah, I'll you have stand an interesting that. approach to appealing to people, then. <laughs> Tell them all their interests are <laughs> trash. Like, instead of sitting there right. like an idiot, the way Look, you would be, just toss it on. It's not costing you I'm anything. I'm just saying, it's a, Double Fine Psych Odyssey is better content than The Mandalorian. I will uh, I will happily go to the mat these days. Toss on something That's that'll teach true. you something about your favorite hobby. Like, you, you will learn more, you will feel more, you will laugh more from Double Fine Psych Odyssey <laughs> than most TV shows. Okay, that's it. Uh... That's it. And, oh, was there a question? Why we st- um, yeah, the question is, will you <laughs> please stop only. talking? No, it's, yeah, it, it is Muffin just asking if uh, anybody will ever do that again, make a documentary like that again. And the answer will. is no, because it's too special and good. Um, Zach Killian <laughs> writes in and says, Hey, man, Max, since it's the 10-year anniversary of Bioshock Infinite, what do, you think's, what do you think of the game when it came out, and what do you think of it now? Do you think it holds up? Keep up the great work. I have to excuse myself from this because I still haven't played any of Ooh. the Bioshock games. Oh, interesting! The first one. I keep mm. restarting it. Yep, I, I, I played I the beginning the like eight times. So, I I really liked Bioshock Infinite when Same it came here. out. I I will my sort of maybe negative memory of it is like the beginning is super strong and the end is super strong, and I don't remember a ton of specifics in the middle. Like, 
Yeah. But I, it is weird to me when people say they, they that it's terrible or they hate it. it, it and I'm yeah. always kind of curious. It's like, well, what's the specific criticism? Which I'm sure they have. I'm not saying people are wrong or anything about their own opinions. But I just like, I thought it was like a really engaging, interesting story with cool action in a in an interesting setting. Yeah. I don't know. It, yeah. It's like a weird structure for that because everyone was so hyped, long development time, you know, we saw so many different versions of it, blah, 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 reboots and development, all that stuff. It was so hyped, and then it finally came out, and the reviews were like 10 out of 10, perfect. And then it feels like the long tail of the game is everybody getting more negative and maybe calling back to like the original marketing again about why they were disappointed with it. But it, it, it was one of the weirdest trajectories of just the overall perception of a game. Because I'm totally with you, Kyle. Like, I really enjoyed playing that game. I remember thinking, like, okay, I'm done with the combat by the end. I, I, I'm, I'm done with this stuff. But just enough creative ideas throughout that entire thing that I loved it. I mean, performances. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I technically, I played it before the original Bioshock and then going back to the original Bioshock, like, pff, I would take Bioshock Infinite any other week over the original Bioshock for replaying it I at least at this point. I want to replay it, though, especially because it's back in that sort of conversation because the anniversary. I think I have the Switch version, which might be a, an easy way to kind of revisit it yeah well you should just play steam deck at that point kyle steam deck's heavy wait really yeah it's too heavy for your it's too heavy <laughs> i have a switch light the man. steam deck is super like heavy it's paper yeah lovely I, mean, I still will go switch over steam deck uh given the as long as it you know the steam version solid like Jan, dredged, how did you know I'm we were talking Twitch, about the steam you know? deck i thought you turned your volume off I, I lowered the volume and I've been, I feel like you guys weren't going to remember to get me back. So I've been just slowly raising it and catching pieces. <laughs> and I heard the Steam Deck being heavy and I'm like, oh, this is my time to shine. I will yeah. say though, like, oh, the Steam Deck's so luxurious feeling. It looks so good. The buttons feel so mm, luxe. Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I don't mm -hmm. know. It's worth paying up with, I think, a little bit. No, I, I play a lot of my Steam Deck, but Switch Lite, though, is where it's at, man. That's Have you been great. putting um, a Squishmallow underneath you when you play <laughs> the Steam Deck? No, I lay on my back and hold it above my head, so it's just this like parallel. Oh, real see this. No, pro gamer hours. Deck of damage. Really, I, I, I played Resident Evil Five on my Steam Deck recently, and it just made it even scarier. Oh. The Steam Deck, the thought of the Steam Deck landing on my face, like I would, I, I think I'd lose my sight. I think my glasses yeah. would break and sh and shatter in my iris. Oh, yeah, yeah. see, when I do it with the Switch Light, it like floats like a feather, and then it gently <laughs> lands on my nose. It's like Link <laughs> dropping down from the. You fall asleep playing it, and every time you every time you snore, it. Hong Shu, Hong Shu. Jeff, you like that Bioshock? Uh, yeah. I I honestly, we put it on the poll for is it good? Yeah, um, and I didn't know I didn't know why we were doing it or where that controversy <laughs> came from and and when you mentioned the the cover like that's the only thing i can really think of that people ever complained about was it was a guy with a gun on the cover right yeah um, the cover was not great well there was this it thing called luna narrative dissonance jeff um, that i don't know if you noticed it but it made the game not uh, fun yeah uh let's see garrett <laughs> no but i remember that was a big discussion too when the game came out i was like yeah that's it's fair point he's eating out of garbage i get it um, Garrett Wainstock says, why don't I put my scrambled eggs in a bowl? Because you got to put other things on the plate next to the eggs, like toast. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's the idea. Because you, you only put things in bowls if that's like soup or cereal, like the only thing you're eating. That's It'll the... run away from you. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think scrambled eggs what? logically are better in a bowl, <laughs> but I don't like what? putting them in there either. Jeff. Wait, are you eating them in a bowl? I'm not. He's, but I'm with Garrett. He's asking why, and it's like, it does feel like it, if that was anything else, it, it, with that texture and consistency, it should go in a bowl. But it's not right to eat scrambled eggs out of a bowl. 
Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Okay, interesting. Uh, Tyler Kasishke writes in and says, with Resident Evil 4 remake getting lots of buzz, a friend of mine asked where they should start if they wanted to start playing the Resident Evil games. What do you think? Resident Evil 4 remake? Resident Evil 2 remake? 7? Where's the right place to start? Resident Evil 2 remake. Yeah. I th- one, play the one everyone's talking about. Four. Play that no. the best remake of the best Resident Evil game. Why wouldn't you so. do that? Because, so, and I haven't played Resident Evil 4 yet. I've been out of town. However, uh, because it is pretty actiony and a little goofy, I personally, while I think in a set, yeah, two words that way, should be used to define fun things. <laughs> but in a weird way, while it's like in a sense the perfect fulcrum between the two types of Resident Evil, right. I think it is a little bit doofier and more slapstick. And I, I could see someone playing it and not liking that aspect, and then being like, "I think the series isn't for me." While RE2. I think it's just a fantastic game. Mm-hmm. It's not too scary if you're like worried about the scares. It has a very traditional, um, I think, setup. It's very like tight and organized. So uh, seven and eight have the li- light spoilers for seven and eight, just in case you haven't played them. Has the problem of you're going around to different places. Like seven, it's like the house and there's the boat and the boat part sucks. Yeah, village, it's cool, but like also it's kind of like a lot of things and like some of them are really good at certain spots, but it's a little like mishmash. Re two. Just good, no notes. I feel like that yeah. is the most, the easiest one to love, and I think it might be the best one they have. But I haven't played four yet. We'll see. I, I, I think it, it. De- I think you're right in a lot of ways. I do think it depends on your friend. It Thank depends you. on if your friend is like, if they like more silly action. Not that Resident Evil Four is all silly action, especially the remake. You know what I mean? Like, there's still plenty of Resident Evil DNA in there. Um, but if they like tighter, scarier, more puzzly, then go Resident Evil Two, and. Yeah, I'll be curious to see what I think about at the end of Resident Evil 4 Remake, if which one I overall enjoyed more, because Resident Evil 2 freaked me out. Like, I really was scared to play that game alone, or Resident Evil 4, I, whatever. It's, but I do, but often in that, with that question, I, I do tend to lean, like, play the one that's the newest and the most, like, contemporary and yeah. the one that most people are excited about. Like, it's fun to play Resident Evil 4 Remake right now alongside everybody else. Um, but that's not to diminish the success that is too. I adore yep. two Resident Evil two remakes, fantastic. Stark writes in. Do we? Do we? Sorry. Do we just not? Are we not considering the first one? I'm. No. Kind of yeah, how no, old are you? Definitely what are, not. What are you talking it's so about? old. It's tanky. It's been remade like eight times, and it needs to be remade again. Well. It's so rough. Am I hallucinating that they didn't? That they haven't re- recently redone well the first they one? so they they did a remaster controls yes they did so they did a remaster it has improved controls they got rid of controls. tank controls are now an option in the hd version of the gamecube remake that they recently released but it's still the camera's still jumping around and stuff so i i, I think the first one would be two is a much the remake of two is so much easier to get into i think than the hd remake of one and then no one okay. really liked the three Either it's still around. good it's still good three like, three rules like when three came out they're like i don't know and then when it came out again they're like it's still not that good but okay like no one talks about it though it's odd i want to go back in time i want to go back in time and fight harder for resident evil 3 remake on the 210s because i think that game is a blast to play and yes it's not as good as resident evil 2 remake who cares it's still a super fun game uh stark writes in and says i was looking at a list of the best-selling switch games and an entry in the momotaro Ten, Tentetsu series. Momotaro Tentetsu series was near the top of all third-party sellers on the Nintendo Switch. I have never heard of this franchise. Can anyone on the panel shed light on this series? I like this question, Stark, because I it's also farming, had... farming, right? Farming no. 
So it looks like it's a, quote, board game style series where you travel the world on a train and you do business and manage things. And I just, I never really paid attention to this series, but looking at images and stuff, I was like, oh, what an interesting franchise to be this big and has been going since the Famicom, I believe. And apparently, I, I assume just for the Japanese sales for the Switch, like versions are still tearing it up. I assume Kelsey Lewin is a big fan or something. Um, Adrian Creates writes in and says, Hey, here's a random nugget I came across last week in the form of a one-question pop quiz. Kyle, no cheating. Think of all the Star Wars games on Steam right now. What do you think is the number one Star Wars game based on user reviews? Coming in at an overwhelmingly positive score with 26,000 all-time reviewed at 97%. Okay, so it has the most reviews and the most positive reviews or just like best no. percentage yeah best percentage i'm gonna say um, see this is tough i because I, I don't know if they're on steam but I, is it those rts star wars games because it's going to be like the niche Ooh, Kyle. like that the, the that people Kyle, really love can you and name then, like can you name played. one of those rts star wars games come on big money gosh come on, it's not man. battlefront would have been a good name yeah it would have <laughs> well yeah one of uh, I, I'm not. I'm not gonna. Oh, yeah, you were. Know. You are at the doorway. Star Wars: Empire at War. The RTS yeah, from that's Petroglyph. That's RTS, yep, right? Yep. Absolutely. Two 2006. Um, well, there was Star Wars: Galactic Battlegrounds, which was based on the Age of Empires 2 engine. Before okay. that, I, there might be more. I've never. Right. I, I played a lot of Galactic Battlegrounds. I've never really played a lot of Empire at War, but that apparently that's some one. credit though. For yeah, not, that's good. Right? Like, that's good, man. I'm impressed. I came off as smart. Right? Oh, big time. Big time. Okay. People are standing up and applauding while they're driving in their cars listening to this. Oh, thank you, everybody. I appreciate it. Because, uh, like I said, it had to be a niche Star Wars game that is beloved by the people that played it and then just not played yes. by the people who aren't interested. That's it. Uh, Derek Giovanelli writes in and says, Hey, Min Max, first time Patreon supporter here. Thank you, Derek. Thanks for jumping in. We're so close to that goal. Um, as a bit of a fitness fanatic, I find myself going to the gym twice a day, every day. Due to this, all right, get ready for this, Jana. Due to this, my better quest goal for the month is to go to the gym less (laughs) while finding more time to rest. Quit quit bragging, Derek. No problem. Very impressive. Uh, Yeah, relax, dude. Play more games. Um, Sit in a beanbag. Uh, Sean Rubin says, hey, Max, you know the most interesting man in the world from the Dos Equis commercials? Who is games media's most interesting person in the world? Games media. So they say maybe it's a developer with a million stories. Maybe it's a journalist who's seen everything. Maybe it's another content creator where you wonder how the hell did they pull this off? Um, yeah, if it's if it's overall game industry and you're, it's developer and press, then I feel like it's slam dunk to be in the developer angle. I I think it's Mark Cerny. I think Mark Cerny has had the best perspective on the entire game industry, like going back to arcade stuff with Marble Madness, then, you know, working on Sonic the Hedgehog 2, then Crash, Spyro, Ratchet and Clank, directing Knack, and then freaking designing the PlayStation 4, designing the PlayStation 5, being the producer for like Death Stranding. Like that is a wild career. That that is, that is true. But are we go are we are we really talking about vibes here? Is You're this right. The most interesting man vibe. Because if you say Mark Cerny to that <laughs> You're right, Mark Cerny, it is true, as much as we love and respect Mark Cerny, 
Uh, if he was just, he had a, a glass of whiskey in his hand, like, I don't think that's if exactly... You, if you pulled up a Mark Cerny headshot and like uh, an Itagaki headshot right, or something, you'd right. be like, which of these people do you think is more interesting? It is, that is interesting. Like, does candor come into play with most I interesting think so. like, in the world? You need a little level of, of swag to you. Yeah, because like, if I could just wring a brain, not physically, you sickos, but wring a human brain and drain everything in there, I think Mark Cerny is the best brain to wring. Yeah. But I don't yeah. know if Mark Cerny's definitely the, best brain. If you could put Mark Cerny's yeah, brain into a more interesting body, well, put that thing into a juice. Just a more open. I don't know. Look, I'm just saying. I've if, never met Mark Cerny. Also, okay. he could be like super cool. He's very know. nice. He's very nice. Um, I just you know I don't think he's gonna. You're not gonna sit down next to a, at a bar and he's gonna be like you're not gonna believe this and just like, he's not gonna like <laughs> unload these awesome stories. He's still no, pretty. No, he's gonna take a picture of the inside of your ear. <laughs> That's right. He wants those ear pictures. <laughs> Uh, so who's number one then, Jeffum? For who has the Dosecki's no vibe? I have no idea. I'm not gonna say Kojima because that, I know that's yeah. what people want to hear. It's not a bad answer. Um, yeah. Suda, you know, Suda 51. You know the can, ones that are like the the mysterious ones it, to me. It, yeah, you know? but it feel it feels like they're all trying to be that person. Right. And it's working. I, right. I, I want the person who's, is about this. who just <laughs> is that person. Now yeah. this person. Like I said, Itagaki. <laughs> what about somebody like Ken Lobb, who seems more open and amiable, seems like somebody you could do some shots with, um, you know, going back to Rare, but then now Microsoft. Like, he's also had a wild career, but he's not, like, he's still a dork. You know what I mean? I don't know if the most interesting person in the world from the Dosekis commercials can be described as a dork, but it's the game industry, so what are you going to do? We're all dorks? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. yeah, I don't know. That's tough. Uh, leave us a name in the comments, please. Uh, let's see. Oh, speaking of that, Jake Zielsdorf writes in and says, were you brought up to say please? And do you still use it when asking for something or does it feel too formal now? I was not brought up to say please. Yeah, I don't think it was a big thing for me either. I do say, I say the hell out of a thank you, but yeah. No, yeah. That's oh, yeah. exactly what I was Thank you real hard. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me how deranged <laughs> this is. I, I was not raised in um a house no i wasn't raised in a god bless you home after you sneeze sure and so therefore also no gazoon height no nothing and so still to this day like when i sneeze and my wife from another room says like oh god bless you or gazoon height just whatever there's a part of me that's like what, what are you doing what <laughs> we don't need to do this it, <laughs> wow. feels, it feels foreign to to my instincts i guess to have like the god bless you after a sneeze you know we live in a society ben but does it really help anything it's i don't want people acknowledging any bodily function i have at any moment in life that's all the more reason <laughs> that this is so important that we maintain i don't know there's something nice about it it's nice i think also because Depending on the context, I understand you're like, oh, you're in the other room. Like, we're kind of doing our own things. <laughs> sure. But in context, it can help create an additional pause space. Because if I'm talking mm. right now and I sneeze, and if you guys don't say anything, you're just going to, it's just going to be silence because you're waiting for, am I going to do another sneeze? What's going mm. on? Yeah. It kind of fills that void. It, it's it's the multiple sneezes that always gets me, though. Because I, yeah. I will sometimes, you know, say bless you after the first one. But if you're a multiple sneezer by like the third one, I'm like, oh, yeah. just shut up already. I just get, I I hate give you the one, and then <laughs> after that, I leave it alone because, or else it's too much. I also I hate mm. the. Um, this doesn't happen as much with sneezes, but like my 
my dad and sometimes my brother will do these dramatic yawns and i'm like all right you're handing it up but like yeah. a, same with the sneeze there are some people that yeah, really milk a, the sneeze that's that's gross don't do that milk the sneeze don't yeah. never never milk so sneeze. nasty uh i mean it's a seinfeld thing we could replace it was it you are so good looking but yeah, even yeah. that even that's that kind of thing uh kyle is your daughter uh polite do you do you do a lot of training for please and thank you, you and all that stuff? Are you training your daughter to be polite? Be careful That's, how you answer this question. Yeah, Kyle. this is the question. I'll tell you right now. Y- yes. Good right. man. Good man. I was gonna. I was gonna recommend it just in case you weren't. Just a reminder. Yeah. Um, is Jeff? Is your little little baby boy? Is he too baby to be polite? Yeah, he's he's. How rude is this baby? Yeah, is this the rudest, baddest baby in town? No, he'll, I mean, he'll, um, if, if he's like eating a snack out of a bowl, he'll, he'll bring it to you in the kitchen to like put it away. That's, that's, that's that's the best we can hope for. How old is this baby? He's two. Okay. So he's not even, he's not even saying he's babbling at this point. Oh yeah. And nothing even close to please. (laughs) Uh, Ben Shively writes in and says, I recently finished my top 50 favorite games of all time list. And I've had some very hard decisions to make along the way. These are some of the harder placements I had to make. And I'm curious what your choices would be. So we need to help Ben make the correct call. What makes the cut top 50 favorite games of all time? This isn't for us. This is for Ben, right? So what does he like more? Um, Halo 3 versus Metroid Dread. I think it's Halo 3. I didn't play Halo 3. Halo 3 is, yeah, it's a question. Is it important or is it your favorite? Halo 3 is pretty dang important. Fa- favorite is how he puts it. Oh, favorite? Favorite. Probably Halo Halo 3, man. There's Halo 3 feels right. I haven't even finished it, Dread. but it, it feels better. Metroid uh, Dread was really hard. I almost cried at the end because it was so hard for me. God, and I was already oh, old. Was it was so like a year brutal. or two ago. I still have nightmares at peak covid trying to beat that final boss before we record mm-hmm. the deepest dive for metroid dread is just like layering all stress on top it was wonderful uh okay mass effect 3 or half-life 2 half-life Ooh. 2 yeah mass effect 3 i love mass effect 3 no okay. any of the mass right. effects in there half-life 2 if it's mass effect 2 versus <laughs> half-life 2 i think i'd go mass effect 2 but sure half-life okay half-life half-life 2. 2. all right half-life how 2. old is this person ben shively <laughs> oh hell ben's probably two uh, Elden Ring versus The Last of Us Part Two. I think Elden Ring takes it there. In Last of Us Part Two. What okay. kind of quiz is this? Why are these two sense. games being compared? Because they're very different. Well, we're, what would we choose to put on that list? Oh, well, Last of Us Two. You know, I don't play Elden Ring, so okay, okay. Yeah, Can't Elden put on a Ring, list a game just for like the clout that everyone has told me about. Okay, Kyle and Jeff, you're just gonna. So I, I, no, I said Elden Ring, but okay. in a weird way, I do feel like Last of Us Part Two is like underrated, which is such a strange oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Right? Interesting. I feel like it does enough. not get the credit it deserves for the incredible storytelling. I think you're right. Like, I think you're right. Uh, Dead Space 2 versus Left 4 Dead. Dead Space Dead 2. Dead Space 2. Yeah. Yeah, Dead Space 2. I haven't played it, and I still know that's Dead Space 2. Uh, Halo yeah. 1. I love both those games. Halo 1 or Shadow of the Colossus? I'll take Halo oh, One. Shadow the Colossus oh, is. Don't, if you dull. say if you say Dusty one more time, Janet. So help me God. I mean, Maybe you should try it again, but I don't think so. No, don't. No, don't. Yeah. Don't go back to it. But just now, you should just say that it's the best game. I ever. enjoyed Halo One. I actually did play Halo One. Yeah, we did the deepest dive on it. Hell, uh, yeah, I'd go Shadow the Colossus. That's not why I played it. Sure. I think I'd go Shadow of the Colossus though, just personally. Yeah. Perfect. And Jeffum? Which I loved Halo. You just played both I recently. Could just. Uh, 
I guess Shadow of the Colossus. That's the sound of confidence, everybody. Um, speaking of confidence, what do we confidently believe is the question of the week? What wins the grand prize for my mate bet? The Sea of Thieves I liked um, at the beginning when we were talking about Holth and Hoth. Oh, that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was a pretty smart addition to a long podcast. Um, I like uh, I like the one about uh, Drake playing the game with his wife and like the gamer senses where you just know certain things. That one was nice. I, I think that's that one, interesting. Yeah. The E3 thing is good. Um, first indie game I thought was interesting. interesting. Man Alive, even though yep. we didn't have it, we didn't have a good answer. Well, but the question was good. Yeah. Okay, our answers were bad. Yeah, I don't think they should be pun- penalized for our bad answers. Yeah, Jeff, where are you leaning, man? Um, God, they all just went right out of my head as as soon as you asked Perfect. me that. Perfect. What was the first one that you said? The one about the gamer senses when you know yeah. you, you can and can't gamer do senses. things. All right, we feeling good about gamer senses? Yeah, I like that one. All right, Drake Heinhorst, congratulations. You're winning the prize, the Sea of Thieves vinyl for Miami 8-Bet. And now it's time for something that we prefer to call, get a load of this. All right, all right. Uh, Janet, what do you got? Get a load of this. I recently learned about the Tyler, the Creator, Fast and the Furious theorem. Fast and Furious Theorem, I guess, which is that for the past decade, Tyler, the creator, the artist, Tyler, the creator, always releases a studio album within 100 days of a Fast and Furious movie. Um, so this started with Goblin, where it was like 11 days from Fast and Furious. And then we it just goes down the list from like other projects. Perfect. And now, most recently, Tyler announced that he's going to be doing a state sale, which is like a deluxe version of his most recent album. And that's going to drop like within that window of the next Fast and Furious, which that one's a little bit, a little cheap because it's not a full album. It's like a re-release with okay, extra okay. tracks. But uh, this is such an odd occurrence of things um, up until the point where his last project, which was Call Me If You Get Lost, dropped on the exact same day as F- F- F9, Fast 9. So that's just a weird That's thing. good. That's good. More that's proof good. that we're living in a in a simulation too if you're trying to mm-hmm. come He's up right. with those things. For and for writing the code, that was the first line of code written, I think, for mm-hmm. the simulation. And I'm like, who put this in here? Come on, this is pointless. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, what do you got? I uh, get a load of this. This is incredibly nerdy, but it's it it genuinely blew my mind when I when I saw this headline. Um Mathematicians have found the first aperiodic uh, monotile. If that's not the most exciting thing you've ever heard, um, if so, if if you if you, th- if you think of your bla- your bathroom floor and you want to tile it, right? Okay. Uh, you you want a shape that will that will fit together without any spaces, right? Um, and and so if you if you pick like a square. Squares like the most obvious choice, right? right you can you right. can you can tile an infinite plane with that shape, uh, and there there are, there are a bunch of shapes that you can do that with hexagons, triangles, all those kind of things. But they're all periodic because they all form a pattern that repeats and, right. and has symmetry to it. Uh, and so, since the '60s, scientists have been I I went down a deep rabbit hole on this years ago. Um, but since the '60s, scientists have been looking for a for a shape. That you could tile something without spaces, um, but it wouldn't repeat. It wouldn't have that pattern to it. And they they they've been searching for decades for it. And just like last week, someone found it. Uh, and and it's it's this weird looking kind of 
13-sided shape that's that's made out of like basically kite shapes into a larger thing but um what? but you it fits together in all these different ways but when you put it together no matter how big of a of a t- of a plane that you tile with it out to literally infinity it'll never it will never make a pattern that that you know will repeat infinitely if any of that makes sense to you I think it's, I got it's it It's a crazy it's a crazy rabbit hole uh to go down um, and it it just blew my mind because I read about this years ago, and and all all the literature at that point was like, oh, someone found it with two shapes that you that you could do it with, but but this this elusive shape was just found, um, and it and it's so base like its building blocks are so basic, yeah. That it's it's like how did how did this exist and no one no one found it and, and, and now they found it for some reason they should have made like a tabletop um, game about it and i feel like gamers could have gotten to the bottom of it faster that it, that is why i, I went down it. It, it the rabbit hole was like tile laying games and how yeah. shapes fit together and it's really interesting to me um and and now they've just made this shape that will that's cool i want to see it itself. i want to see it in bathroom tile like i want to see that on hgtv within the next three months I, I would assume that you could. The 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 other example, um, the guy's name was Penrose. He came up with these two these two shapes, but he patented them and then would like sue people if they would use them. Throw him in the so ocean. Throw him in I, the I ocean. I know. I don't I don't know if they're gonna try and do the same thing with this. Um but yeah, if you wanna read a whole bunch about this weird shape, uh and all the science and math behind it, um we'll We'll give you the link. There's a link below, uh, Kyle. Uh, hey, get a load of this. Okay. Mine's a lot like Jeffum's. Um, <laughs> Snoop Dogg recently visited <laughs> Glasgow, <laughs> and uh, he was greeted at the airport by a bagpipe player playing uh, Still Dre on the bagpipes. <laughs> yeah. And it's like him on the tarmac just doing his best to like dance to this bagpipe <laughs> player like doing that song just to be like hell yeah that's great man and it's like oh really boy. sweet and also just hilarious it's uh it's very funny um i don't know how if if you're set up to play the the actual audio but you know there's a link there's below a link you, below awesome can't play the audio handsome. it's very funny that sounds great and um, it's like infinite or something i don't know oh that oh it's mathematically funny <laughs> there you go um <laughs> oh man uh, hey, get a load of this. Um, I watch Survivor every week because it's the best show on TV. Um, and uh, other than Succession, I guess. Is Survivor better than the documentary series? That's about not. That's not get wild. Fine? No, no. That's Double Fine's I got to see is better than Survivor. I, Janet, do you wow. want do you want to know what my life is? Literally Always. this morning in the shower, what I was thinking about is like, what do I want from media more than anything else in the world? I was like. I want Paul Owens from Two Player Productions to edit a season of Survivor. <laughs> that is like my number one <laughs> wish on planet Earth over, I don't know, and world was peace. Ray J's wish too. That's right. Uh, anyways, so I was watching Survivor and, uh, you know, it's on CBS. And so it's just a bunch of weird ads. Like, it's just like a whole different ad ecosystem for like, what is going on? Especially like playing it from their crappy app, which barely functions. Like the ads they serve you are just bizarre, weird old people stuff. And this ad popped up. Am I out of the loop on what society is going through right now? But yes. Okay. Well, well, you say that, Jenna, but let me finish this. It's just a woman no. hawking a product and making it seem like the most normal thing in the world where she's like, well, we all need butt deodorant. 
And so here's what it is. You put it along the inside of your cheeks and it's scientifically proven to bring your stink level from a five to a zero. And I was just flabbergasted about the idea of butt deodorant being a thing. Has anybody heard of butt deodorant? No, it's okay. that person needs a bidet. I think that's the secret. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the secret. Um, so, you know what? CBS, good job. You know your audience. It's a <laughs> stinky butt audience. We're talking about it. You know, the the last time I watched regular TV, there was an ad. It, it was a drug ad, but it was for like a, an actual antipsychotic. And it, it, it was like the woman was talking to another version of herself. And, and it was like, you see and hear other people <laughs> try, you know, whatever it is, ask your doctor about it. And it's like, is, is this really how you advertise? Who are you advertising like hardcore antipsychotics to? It's, it's a bizarre Is that world. something you're going to see on your TV and you're going to believe it and go to the doctor? That's and, the other thing. Who knows? Uh, hey, did you pull one from the community there, Jeffrey? I sure did. Get a load of this. Um, this one was from Waving World, uh, and it's a new Dan Olson video. Um, he's mm. he's the guy who runs Folding Ideas. He did the two-hour documentary on NFTs and how they're a huge scam. Uh, and his latest one is called The Future is a Dead Mall, uh, Decentraland, mm. and the Metaverse. And it's basically a another two-hour destruction uh, deconstruction on the metaverse and all the problems with it and how it's not a real thing and it's a big scam as well um, and it's very worth your time. Sweet. Links below for all the fun stuff and check out the Get a Load of This channel the Midmax Discord which is just a constant feed of the most interesting stuff. Um, Alright, that's it everybody. Thanks so much for watching or listening to the Midmax Show podcast. Uh, we have, we mentioned at the top of the show, we have the deepest dive on Resident Evil 4 just kicked off with the first episode. We will be collecting your comments over on Patreon for chapters 7 through 11 uh, this Sunday. So if you're playing the game, you want to submit your thoughts for us to read during our discussions, we'll say your name, we'll read your comment, share your insight, join the hive mind. Uh, we're collecting your comments on April 2nd over on Patreon. If you're a $2 supporter on Patreon, you can submit a comment. If you're a $5 supporter, you unlock the podcast version of the full Deepest Dive right in your favorite podcast app. But that's not all because we're real wildcats here. This week, we have two Deepest Dives running simultaneously for the first time ever, I'm pretty sure, uh, because we have the grand finale that just went live for the deepest dive on like a dragon Ishin with truly a dream team panel you got uh, leo vader hosting this thing michael hyam from uh fanbyte gamespot uh is all over the world these days um so he's also on there jacob geller's on there sarah podorsky on there hats off to sarah for being on two deepest dives in one week <laughs> that's very impressive uh but they cover the final third of like a dragon Ishin, the new yakuza game uh so check that out help support game club discussions like that uh, because it could use some more love out there for spending that much time with Ishin, but uh, we're glad everybody, glad for everybody that followed along, listened to all that, and played along with folks for Like a Dragon Ishin. So, again, a reminder, we're 47 new supporters away from hitting our goal on Patreon. You could change the course of MinMax Media by jumping in there. Um, and you can jump, uh, jump in there on Patreon and check out the extended version of our travelogue to GDC which is an hour and 40 minutes long. If you really want to know what it's like at GDC, you can check out the short version of the travelogue, which is up on YouTube to give you a whirlwind tour, or you can really soak in it for an hour and 40 minutes by unlocking that extra long version at the Backstage Pass tier on Patreon. It's like an hour of it is just Kelsey and I wandering the uh, show floor at GDC, but it's a fun time. So if you want to see just a really long show floor tour and a bunch of other fun stuff, extended bits with me and Blessing, Snowbike Mike, 
Barrett from Kind of Funny, Janet, uh, he's very sweet and said hi for a while. So all those extended cuts. Oh, I uh, talked to Jeff Keeley. All that extended coverage uh, is in that bonus extended version of the travelogue. Um, and then if you support us on Patreon, you unlock Party Chat, our weekly bonus podcast each and every week. This week we talked about uh, multiverses kind of sort of shutting down before it's coming back later, which is a bizarre story. Uh, talk even more about GDC, what it's like behind the scenes. Uh, people call in and talk about their experience at PAX East. Bob Buell, Janet, uh, he talked about how much he enjoyed your panel on the uh, dating app video game character thing. He said it was super fun. Yeah, video game Tinder. <laughs> video game Tinder. There we go. Uh, we talk about the best places if you're a gamer to go visit in Tokyo. People kiss Haley McLean's ass. There's a lot of good stuff on Party Chat on this episode, so I hope you enjoy that each and every week. And thank you especially to our biggest supporters, not our biggest, but some of our biggest people at the $50 tier on Patreon, the Game Champion tier. They can choose any game under the sun and be declared the champion of it, and then all that stuff goes in a big old poll for figuring out which game we're creating bonus content about. Somebody was asking, Crowboy's asking at the Backstage Pass uh, stream right now, he's asking, hey, when's that herb stream coming up? Uh, Sarah has a lot on her plate, including doing two deepest dives uh, this week alone. And so we're going to stream Herbs, which won the Game Champion poll, at some point soon. I would guess early to mid-April uh, mid is the plan for streaming uh, Herbs as the Game Championship uh, winner there. But shout out to Andre Silva, who is a champion of Dark Cloud. They are not letting Dark Cloud go. And Jawar Hello is officially the champion of Simpsons Wrestling. Truly a cursed video game, but Jawar, hello, you're <laughs> undoubtedly the champion of it. So Did it. thank you so much. And hey, I think that's it. Anybody else have something they're dying to say? No. Surely. Be you're good, on a... have fun, let's go. That was my idea, actually. But... Oh. I don't feel you weren't dying to say that. I'm dying to say it every time. Here we go, everybody. Thanks so much. Be good, have fun, let's go. Let's go.